Welcome to Not My Forte with Joel and Ian. This is episode 11 of our first season in which Ian Zumbach hears the music of the Beatles for the first time in his life. I am your co-host, Joel Russo, and I am Ian's shaman, his spirit guide, his Jiminy Cricket, his Navi the Fairy, leading him through this month-long musical quest. This week we are tackling the last album the Beatles ever released, Let It Be, which is either their 11th or 12th studio album, depending on how you look at it, because they recorded it before they recorded their final album, Abbey Road. We are choosing to tackle this before Abbey Road for reasons I will explain over the course of this episode. We are also digesting and discussing the documentary Get Back, directed by Peter Jackson, released in 2021. You can stream that on Disney+, and I would recommend watching it just in general because it's spellbinding and incredible, but also because we talk about it a whole bunch during this discussion. This is a pretty long one, so I'll get out of the way here after I remind you to follow us on Facebook, where we are Not My Forte with Joel and Ian, and on Instagram, where we are at Not My Forte Podcast. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcast if you enjoy, and if you really love the show, share it with a friend or an enemy. Maybe you'll bond over our podcast about the Beatles and find some common ground. Anyway, here's episode 11. have reached let it be the penultimate album yes yes this will be i believe episode 10 or 11 of our of our journey um we uh we have not talked about it yet ian has told me one thing which is that this may be his favorite album just listening so far that's all i know about his experience yes ian has listened to let it be the re- the remastered 2021 edition um, and he has watched the documentary Get Back. I did. Last night you finished it. I finished it. I watched it in two days, okay. which felt like doing an Ironman, actually. <laughs> yeah. As much as oh, it was yeah. amazing. I, it's a lot of hours. It was a lot of yeah. hours. It's an eight-hour yeah. thing. Um, uh, just as for a refresher, if this just happens to be your first episode, uh, this is our first season of our podcast called Ian Hears the Beatles. Ian has not heard any of the Beatles, and over the last four months or so, Ian uh, has gone uh, through all of their catalog. I, Joel Russo, your other co-host, uh, have been taking his hand through this entire thing. So we've started with Please Please Me, their first album, and we've gone track by track. We're almost done, and here we are at Let It Be. So he has heard it for the first time this week. I have. And our usual... Our usual... Uh, formula is that, you know, Ian will give me his notes and then I'll kind of give background and we've been do on each song and we've kind of been going song by song in order. But this week, uh, we may kind of stray from that because now Ian has seen this extensive exhaustive documentary about the making of the album. Yes. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off with just, uh, some of your, I want to hear some of your thoughts and they can be general or song by song, however you f- see fit. But um, about the album first, about your what you can remember. You wrote down some notes. I did. As far as like when you were just listening to it without knowing anything from the documentary or the backstory. Exactly. So let's start with that. Like what what was your what was your experience with just listening to this album cold? 
Well, listening to it cold, it, right when I got to the end of it, I, I thought to myself, this is easily my favorite Beatles album to date. Okay. Because what I felt through the music, what I was hearing, yeah. I felt that I was experiencing the revival, like a real revival of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, it felt very fresh. It felt live. I felt like they, they went back to what they were so great at, yeah. which was being a cohesive, live-oriented group. And I knew they weren't performing live, yeah. but it seemed that they were approaching the the recording of the project and the songwriting and everything as if they were performing it live, not knowing anything about it. Right, That's just yeah. the way it it's felt It's super to me. evident. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's where they shine. They shine as mm -hmm. a live yeah. group. The chemistry is so amazing. Hmm. The fact that they are back together doing it that way. Yeah, um, especially after White Album. Especially after the White Album, absolutely. Um, yeah, this, to me, also, it just kicked more rear end than any yeah. other Beatles album. There was yeah. just some something to it that right, just yeah. really... It just grabbed a hold of me right from yeah, the start. Yeah, it's, it's a dirty rock and roll album. It is, yeah. right up my alley. Um, <laughs> so those are my initial takeaways yeah. about the album. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I have notes song by song. Sweet. So. Well, yeah, uh, give me give me whatever the track listing is of that one. And okay. We'll go from there. I'm, and here's what we're going to do. When we listen here, we're going to be listening to the Let It Be Naked uh, versions, which Ian hasn't heard yet. No. Uh, it's actually in a different order. It's this one starts with "Get Back," it goes "Get Back," "Dig a Pony for You," "Blue," "Long and Winding Road," Two of Us," "Got a Feeling," "One After Nine on Nine," "Don't Let Me Down," "I Be Mine," "Across the Universe," and "Let It Be." Um, wow, which is different. Definitely, um, and I'll explain kind of the story of this. Y yes, please. As as we go, because this there is, is actually one chunk of this because of the, the weird order, how this is the actually actually the last album released. Uh, the, it was the second to last album recorded, but this is actually released after the Beatles broke up this album. Wow. So there's a whole extra so story sad. to it. So, okay. yeah, we're, we'll get into that. Well, can you just tell us what, what the whole deal with Naked is? Yes. So this album was recorded, like you saw, mm -hmm. uh, using in this very live, bare-bones, visceral way with almost no overdubs. Um, some of the some of the songs, as it says in the documentary, are just taken straight from that rooftop yeah, concert. So awesome! And uh, and then they sat on it, and as we'll see, uh, they used kind of the momentum as you, as you saw at the end of the documentary. They they ended it on a really high note. They were flying high. So, like a month after that, they went back into the studio and they recorded Abbey Road, and released Abbey Road. And then, and they, but they just sat on these ones because they were a little rough. They were okay. unpolished. I see. And especially if you're coming from, you know, Sgt. Pepper's Magical Mystery Tour, White Album, and then Abbey Road. Abbey Road is going to be a lot more studio. It's going to be a lot more on the side of kind of Sgt. Pepper's. The, I think they felt like it was just, it was maybe too raw or, or it was... You know, it was too punk rock. Yeah, maybe a little bit, <laughs> or for, for whatever reason, they sat on it. They didn't release it yet, and they maybe it was the record label. I'm not sure, but they sat on it for I guess it was a year. This came out in 1970, mm -hmm. and Phil Spector. So Alan, they talked about Alan Klein, who's oh. the, this manager. Yes, who who 
who uh, managed Rolling Stones. Managed Rolling Stones, right? and who came in, and he's he's kind of, I wouldn't say he's the one who broke up the Beatles, but he's he definitely provided a couple coffin nails uh, in the process. But he kind of tasked himself with, I believe it was his decision to f- bring in Phil Spector and to give him these sessions and to say, hey, make these presentable. Make these more of like a finished album. This this ties directly back to our conversation on Revolver. Yeah. And Scooby-Doo. Right. <laughs> yes. Phil Spector, the evil producer, exactly. actually really did. Yes. And so Phil Spector took this album that was all about the live rawness and the the un, no overdubs, and he put a ton of strings and extra overdubs and bells and whistles on it. Hmm. And Paul hated it, and he actually cited it as one of the main examples why he Paul quitting was one of, was the thing that kind of finally dissolved the Beatles, and that was one of the main reasons that he quit was that th- they went on and he said that they did it without his permission. Wow! And so he put Spectre put choirs, he remixed everything. Of course, his thing was this wall of sound. That's the thing that's associated with him. So he needed everything to sound huge and massive and lush, which translated to his hairstyle of, of later course. on in life to a wall <laughs> of hair. Yes, and so uh, yeah, he took like kind of the Beach Boys. Uh, you know, yeah, hmm. that kind of thing. So, just as a side thing. note, yeah. was was there enmity between Paul and Alan? Is Alan Klein is that what yes. his name? Like right from the start, because he's more John's guy, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. Yeah. Okay. And so, what happened was, I think it was two thousand two thousand three. Uh, Paul McCartney and I bet George Martin or his son Giles they re-engineered, they remixed the album and they took all that extra stuff off it. Hmm. And so this stuff, so this, the Let It Be Naked version is basically what we heard from that documentary. And they're the actual tracks that they, that they were assuming the the songs would be (laughs) at Hmm. the time of them recording it and mixing it. It does seem like in the Get Back documentary that there's a conversation that George Martin has with Paul, Mm -hmm. particularly about the long and winding road. Yes. Where he says, like, we need to do something to this. Yep. So. Yeah, that's interesting. We we can talk about that when we get there, but um, there is a weird, as much, that's actually the song that Paul hated the most. Hmm. Uh, That was, that was the thing that he cited was was the long and winding road. There were choirs and all these things on it. Paul and and George Martin had actually tried to add some cellos and uh, some brass onto that song. Maybe it was Let It Be. But I'll, we'll, we'll figure out. I'll, I have it in my notes. But um, yeah, they had actually done that first, and it, I don't think there's. I haven't heard the the mix with that in there. I believe what what is on the actual album that was released in 1970 is the Phil Spector version it's not what paul and george did so is the the version that i listen to is it a phil specter produced mm-hmm. project yeah i somehow feel dirty now <laughs> well that's why i told you to listen to the, the naked version i don't think you did uh, i did oh, but that's fine I because so i sorry i like what we're doing now and now you're, you'll be able to hear here's the thing a lot of the songs it's a very subtle difference okay and the the ones you're going to hear the most are uh, Long and Winding Road, Let It Be, I Me Mine. There's some stuff on I Me Mine. Yeah, so we'll we'll get to that. But the the f- other funny thing is like 
of course, with the addition of Billy Preston on this album, there is more going on. Lord have than, mercy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like these really, on so many of these, they didn't need anything extra. Like it's, it's kind of more full than ever. Hmm. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the, this history behind that. And so for me, ever since this came out in 2003, which is not too long after I started listening to the Beatles, um, I immediately latched onto this version. It's like, okay, this is the album, not the, the one with all the extra stuff on it. I and think they should have, um, rather than call it the naked version, they should have called it Let It Be in the Nude. <laughs> yeah. I, that seems I more do. artistic to me. <laughs> I, I wonder why they actually, maybe they just, to be provocative, I don't know. I wonder why they landed on that title. But I feel like they should just call it Get Back because that's what it was going to oh, be yeah, sure. called. But Good point. whatever. Um, cool. So what? So the first track is, I want to say, Two of Us? Two of Us, on yes. The, on the classic lineup? Okay. It is. And so um, at my first note was, what's the story behind the intro? But I found out what the story behind yes. the intro yeah, and the Get Back it. documentary. It's just John <laughs> uh-huh. goofing off and being a, his charming, lighthearted, yeah. goofy self. <laughs> dig a Pygmy by Charles Hawtrey and the Deaf Aids. Phase one in which Doris gets her oats. The first thing that struck me about the track was the vocal collaboration. Yeah. Um, it, it was... It seemed like in a in my immediate listen that they've rekindled something, that there's yeah. a common ground between them that you hear chemistry that they're both in on this take. It, it, yeah. um, not in the sense of like performance, but actually like care about the performance and, and are mutually bought in. Like they're not phoning in this this particular performance. They're yeah. They're there for it, and they're there for each other. So yeah. um, my my question was, are they growing back towards one another? But we see in the documentary that they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, on a technical standpoint, my I, I really enjoyed the panning of the separation of the two acoustic guitars yeah. on the mix. Yeah. Um, I thought that sounded wonderful because uh, they just did have similarities, but but different tonality too so yeah so it, it it was a delight to listen to yeah i love the orchestration of this with the it's just two acoustic guitars the drum and then george is playing a little electric yeah, a little, thing right yeah right um let me see here it i appreciated the story that they're telling too because it does yeah. feel thematic of what's actually happening with them both this song and get get back, even though some of the yeah. verses and get back are nonsensical, there's there's this idea of like we've 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 been through it. Let's get back to the yeah. basics. Let's get back yeah, to caring yeah. about each other. Yeah. Um, let me see some of the lyrics that I picked out were uh, you and I have memories longer than the road that stretches out ahead. Two of us wearing raincoats, standing solo in the sun. You and me chasing paper, getting nowhere on our way back home. And so there's like these nuances of friendship, literal, yeah. figurative um, scenarios, but but the idea that like they're they're making their way back home, it yeah. just it it was really, it was like yeah, I'm rooting for them at this point. Like I'm bought in, like rooting for their friendship yeah. more than anything. Um, and I love the way the outro, how the song ends, but then it and then it brings the the 
instrumental part back in. And they're yeah. like, you better believe it. You know, <laughs> we're on our way or whatever that they say yeah. at the end of that. Yeah. Um, but to that point, it is one of my favorite moments in Get Back, yeah. the documentary, is this song when they're recording it, it was like they were falling in love with each other again. Yeah. Not in a yeah. sexual way. Yeah. Falling in love like, yeah. here's what I love about you, Paul. Here's what I love about you, John. And you yep. can see the sparks flying and the, and, and the magic happening and just yeah. something that goes so deep that resonates in, their, in each other's soul for one another. Probably like similar to like, I don't know, like you hear about Flea and Anthony Kiedis, just how they're like on yeah. this journey for four decades and how much they love one another. Yeah. It felt like that. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, this um, this is a song about Linda, which shouldn't be too surprising. I think it was it was inspired by the fact that like she would take him out of like London or New York or whatever, wherever they were, and Paul was a Beatle, so he couldn't he wasn't anonymous at all. He was a, one of the least anonymous people in the world. But sure. she would just take him and drive, and he he had this new kind of a a new kind of anonymity as they would go off into the countryside where there was no one and they would just mm. kind of get lost. And it was really part of this, you know, him finding his soulmate, this this lady who meant so much to him. And it's, I feel like it's it's a beautiful song because I think it really captures what she was to him, mm. especially at this stage in their relationship. She represented this freedom. She represented this thing that was that wasn't this bloated fame thing right she was this new just a personal connection and it felt like it was just the two of them in their own little world together and i do love i do love kind of the platonic nature of this song though because it really is the more that they play it together you really do feel like they're meaning this as a song about paul and john and of course yeah. there's just this great harmony that they they sing through the whole thing pretty much and yeah. it's yeah, and then the, the dual acoustic guitars. It's just a great like. It's just it's like a little. It's like a poem. It's a picture of, like you said, this moment of them kind of being able to kind of put aside their differences. And as we saw at the beginning of the documentary, they they weren't getting along. And but at this point, when they finally started to get this song together, it's really it's really special. Beautiful, yeah. I love that Paul had that too. Like that, like it was initially inspired by. Linda and their relationship and his anonymity. Yeah. I didn't know that, but what? A, what? Especially after watching the documentary, all the people that were yeah. around this like Beatles <laughs> circus, right? With all kinds of agendas, you know. Some, uh -huh. some agenda was like, I just need to be a support, you know, to yep. these guys. Other agendas like sleaze bags, you know, just trying yeah. to make, yeah, just like exploit the, the, them. The publisher. Uh, guy and then the, with the sheet music or the whatever sheet music dude oh, goodness and then the, of course the documentary them just pushing them to make this mm. concert the whole time like right yeah so it's much so going stupid. on yeah <laughs> yeah poor guys I know <laughs> um, this was my f I would say maybe when I first saw this documentary this song was I got choked up at this song mm. and I can't really tell you why it could be all of what we just said. Mm. that I was kind of internalizing. And of course, you know, Paul and John mean a lot to me and their relationship means a lot to me. But it was more, it was in, I think, the third episode and the entire time we've seen them be working on this song for almost the entire time uh, since like very, very early on in the first days. And they're playing it like a rock song and they have electric guitars and Ringo's doing like, 
like a two and four thing, and it's like you know two of us. Right. And they're playing it a little faster, and he's got the bass and all that stuff, and they're getting sick of it in this part, and then. Paul says, I, what if we just didn't have bass? And John's like, where's my acoustic? And they have this idea and they start playing it. They start playing the song here. I actually recorded it right here. This is not great podcasting, but, um, I'm going to play the little now. And they're just kind of, they're just joking around. Mm. So it starts and they're just they're just fooling around mm. and they're they're doing their joke lyric stuff. Right. They're Jack Blacking it. <laughs> he starts making an obla di obla da joke right here. Mm. That, yes. That one little that one John harmony. Had, yes. Wow. And John has this look of like, oh, that's the song. Yes. And they're just they're they're and they go yeah they're they're like you said they're they're Jack Black in it and they're just kind of making up funny little jokes, but in that moment they had it and all of a sudden the entire arrangement just poof just comes into existence and Ringo, being a, a wonderful drummer, just starts going. Right instead yes. of his, instead of like the rock beat he and that's the whole thing and that's and it's a super simple arrangement. George does the same thing. Uh, he changes what he's playing, but it's this incredible. I, I couldn't explain it, but this feeling of like hearing them strain at this, and I know the song really well, and so I'm hearing, well, that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong, <laughs> and then after watching six hours of this documentary, you f- I get to this point, and they're j- and they're, I'm like, oh, there it is, they did it, like they they figured it out, and it all they needed was this one little shift of like, hey, forget about the bass, and let's just play acoustic guitars, and then it was it, it was like fully formed and uh, perfect, and it's sort of. Um symbolic of their friendship too, right? Yes. It it just gets stripped right yes, down. Yes, absolutely. And I think maybe that's what transcends yes. you know, some of the emotion of that scene. Absolutely. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's them just being like, hey, remember when we were kids? Yeah. And this was just fun. And I think maybe in that scene, they actually show like them as young kids, like like 13-year-old, <laughs> 14-year-old kids, yeah. right? Uh, it was moving. It was very, yeah. it was a very powerful director. Who would have known choice. that Peter Jackson was such a good filmmaker? Yeah, right? <laughs> what 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 doesn't that guy do? He takes what rock us, did he climb out from he, under? Yeah. <laughs> takes us to Mordor. <laughs> takes us to Seville Road. Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Frodo and Sam, Paul and John. I, I have a Frodo and Sam reference really? in here somewhere. Amazing. And I didn't even think about the fact that Peter Jackson. Was, <laughs> I love so it. I, I don't remember what it was, but we'll get to it. At Peter some point. Jackson, the uh, the yeah, he's yeah, he's our great paragon of of male yeah. friendship. We love you, Peter. Love you, Peter. All right, dig a pound. I'm eight. drinking. I'm drinking my tea right now. Uh, sure, in honor is. of Peter Jackson. Sure, it is. There's acid in that thing. I'm sure of it. <laughs> 
let's, they past it? Well, speaking of which, are they past that stage? Well, I know they're not past that stage because there's a scene in the movie where I know, like, oh, it, John's definitely not past this, oh, yeah. this phase. There's, so it doesn't seem, was it when he takes the joint out of his pocket? No, there's a scene <laughs> where the whole scenario sends him on a bad trip and you know it, like, oh, this poor guy is, yeah. he's, he's really he, in a bad way. So John, I believe, had been on heroin, so that this was a... Mm. This was coming at a at a point in his life, in Yoko's life. Yoko had actually just had a miscarriage. Hmm. And um, like I think it was in October, so this is in January, so just a couple months before this. And they were kind of reeling from this. Hmm. And they wanted to have a baby together. She had a miscarriage, and he was in a bad place, and he was using heroin. And so he was coming off of it at the beginning of this documentary. Oh, wow. And so that's another that's another wrinkle to and I'll I'll get into kind of how how at the end maybe I'll talk about how the entire story was kind of reshaped by Peter Jackson's documentary but that's one of the reasons I think why she was present so much during this is that mm. they had they were just going through a lot and they for them it was like well, we don't want to I'm not going to do this if we can't be together because right mm. now we're the only ones you know helping each other hang on. And actually, to that point, this is a very organic conversation. Obviously, to that point, yeah. I, I know I don't I don't really have much of a point of reference for Yoko Ono besides hearing the narrative that she's responsible for right. breaking up the Beatles, right? Mm -hmm. So there just seems to be this this uh, ah this is sour sourness towards her from from that's a sentiment that I've sort of not, yeah. not even just grown up with, but yeah. it was just like heard a lot. Right? A girlfriend that would break up a band is called a Yoko Ono. Like that's that kind right? of, okay. no, I'm just saying like, that's a joke we've all heard right. at different sure. points. Sure. Yeah. Um, but when I was watching the documentary, I mean, she barely says anything. It just seems like she's present yeah. there as a because they cared for one another that was my read on it yeah apart from when they'd go ahead and do the like yeah. the rage jam sessions right you know and then it was like which they're Whoa. all enjoying by they're the way enjoying like no one's time. no one's right. sitting by and being like i wish they weren't doing this or <laughs> no. i wish she wasn't you know they're into it paul's on drums during those yeah <laughs> <laughs> having the time of his life yeah yeah i was like i felt like what i was listening to it, i was like oh mike Patton would put this out yeah. you know <laughs> so. um i wrote down let's see I I wrote as I was watch rewatching some of it today. Yeah, Paul clearly understands that John loves Yoko more than the Beatles, and he doesn't really hold it against him. Um, there's a point early on where John isn't there. I think it's near the end of that first episode, maybe when George had quit. George quits. Yeah, and uh, I think it's at the beginning of the second. Okay, yeah, yeah. and they're all they're just all sitting, sitting there talking. Yeah. Right? yeah, and I think Ringo's there, and they're just having this conversation. It's George. I mean, sorry, it's it's. Paul, Linda might be there. Ringo's there. Every they're all the director. They're all sitting around, and they're just having this conversation. And Paul says he's like, "Yeah, if it was Yoko or the Beatles, he would choose He'd Yoko." Choose Yoko yeah. And I'm basically saying like, "I get that. Why? Th there's not a lot here for John right now, and he's given so much to the Beatles. So he's like, and then he actually makes a joke. <laughs> he makes a joke about like he's like, late later on, people are going to be like Yoko." is the reason that the Beatles broke up. He says that. He says, right. like, th this is going to be the story that everyone tells. 
And he's so right. That's <laughs> mm, so unfortunate. But he's saying it as a joke to be like, all these, you know, all these people out there are going to see something different, but like, I really don't have a problem with it. I think also something that is so, so clear about that, about the film is that, is just that he, he knows who John is. Mm. And John is a volatile person. Mm. And he's a really emotional person. And, and we all know people like that. And if those are people that we love, then we learn to deal with that. And we learned like to recontextualize some of the things that they say to us and how to deal with them and how to love them. Mm. And he knew how to love John. He knew what John needed. I think they were, they were like best friends. And so that came across so much through the whole thing that like, and I think part of it may have been because they knew what John was going through, like I was just saying, but like you never get a sense that they're, impatient with John. No, they're very patient. In yeah. fact, there's a few times where, where Paul does communicate or rise, rise up to challenge some of the volatility yeah. or, or misbehavior. Yeah. Um, but John seems to receive it too. Like he yeah. kind of like, he's like, oh, I needed this. You know, so yeah. this is like mutual respect of knowing one another mm-hmm. so intimately yeah. that um, they they never seem like they're about to come to blows or something like that. No. You know? And actually, as I was watching it too, I wondered, uh, Lind- Linda's there quite a bit, yeah. not as much as Yoko, but she's there often. And yeah. then she brings her daughter there in one scene and they're recording yeah, Let yeah. It Be. Right. And the daughter, is it Heather? Is that her name? Yeah, I believe so. She's going bananas in the studio, <laughs> yeah. like standing on things. She's she's actually playing the hi-hat with Ringo while they're tracking yeah. Let It Be, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was wondering, I'm like, you know, nobody gave Linda a hard time for being there. No, exactly. You know, was it just a racial bias against Shoko Ono because she was different and because I'm sure she was that had Asian something to do with and, it. You know, I think she was really avant garde too. Yeah, I'm for sure, sure part of it too is that John was technically married at this point. You know, oh, he was, and I think it, I think it was during. Well, it was either during White Album or, or early days of this where they finalized the divorce because hers finalizes in the movie, I think, right? Like there's a scene where- Yes, you're right. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. So John's, John's marriage had already ended and then hers, yes. And they were saying, we're kind of like, we're celebrating today. Yeah. So like, I think that that might've been part of it. There was a lot of, I think a lot of baggage, a lot of, you know, scarlet letter type stuff going on uh, to this that, yeah, that didn't have. And I mean, Linda, I believe Linda, she had a daughter. So she, I, I believe she she may have already uh, been married as well. I, th- I don't know that. Hey, future Joel here. Uh, just fact check this. And Linda was previously married from 1962 to 1965. But you'd, you'd think that, you know, the same people. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it is this uh, a racial bias. Um, they could be all those things, she but was for whatever reason, weird, you know, yeah. maybe people just didn't understand her. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm, I'm sure. I feel like that's probably a big part of it that she was just, she was different and people didn't understand her. I do think that that narrative started on the white album hmm. and we, we get to see it at a point where they've worked through it a little bit. I see. I do get the sense that during the White Album, it was more of a problem because of this one specific reason, which is that the Beatles had this policy where there were no wives or girlfriends allowed in the studio. Okay. And John started bringing Yoko and the rest of them had a problem with it. And so I think that led to a lot of 
of hurt feelings. I see. Yeah, okay. but that that wasn't really going on here. And like you said, Linda's there. This is edited just, you know, this documentary is edited just like any other piece of media. But we spend we spend a lot of time with them. I feel like to get a sense of who they really are and how they see each other, you get the sense that Paul probably feels the same way about Yoko being there as John feels about Linda being there and that they're both completely fine with it. And they seem to really embrace it. Ringo certainly does. He's letting yeah. Heather jump all over his drums. and totally. you know, like <laughs> Ringo is the friggin' coolest, yeah, man. I, I love that guy. I know. I was going to say, we've already talked about, you know, in like Hard Day's Night, and all, you know, he, he seems like he's such a cool guy. And like this movie just continues to like... <laughs> Just elevate him. It's yeah. like he unlocks new powers in this yeah. one and just yeah. like his level of peace and love, which I think is like he That's tags every yep. Instagram post with peace and love, <laughs> you know? Like he could be ordering McDonald's french fries mm-hmm. and be like, peace and love to McDonald's, <laughs> sure. you know? Well, and here's the funny thing too, just long term, George is the un- the enlightened one, right? George is the one who pursues. But is he? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like he's the one who's pursuing enlightenment and is all about calm and about self and the ego and stuff. But like, if you look at him, Ringo is the one who seems like he doesn't need any of that stuff. Exactly. At least what we can tell of him, he's like he's just comfortable in his own skin, and he's the dependable guy, and he has a healthy sense of detachment. Whereas yeah. George is. A lot gets a lot more angry, and he quits he the band. And, you know, yeah. And I think he he even like jabs Paul and and John yeah. about something. Like what you're talking about is like they're talking about that trip to India and oh, yeah. transcendental, transcendental meditation. And yep. And he says something along the lines of like like we shouldn't be pretending to be someone else, but we are pretending or yeah, something. I yeah. can't quite remember exactly. I how remember paraphrase but it's like yeah. a very like on the nose like yeah like. Looking down, he was his kind of nose, telling them that they were know. wrong about what they had just said. Right. He's like, "Well, if you th- he, Paul was like, we were all pretending to be someone else there, and George was like, well, we're all kind of always pretending to be somebody yeah. else.' In yeah. the meantime, he's got these two Harry Krishna guys that are like <laughs> praying through their beads over in yes, the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene where Ringo gets the flowers from the Harry Krishnas, and he's like, "I don't yeah. really like these," you know. He just throws them. Out. I don't care for them. <laughs> Nothing against yeah. Harry Krishnas. He was just like, "I don't yeah. need this." <laughs> you know? Yeah. George John just had Yoko. <laughs> John had Yoko, Paul had Linda, and George had these Hare Krishna guys. He yeah, did. yeah. <laughs> they all brought their like kind of mascots like, with them. Yeah, I wonder if they're still alive. Like, mm. if they, you know, they'd be like yeah, the opening, pretty young. They'd be the opening act for uh, uh, Pete Best's <laughs> show, how he got kicked out of the Beatles, and he was like, yeah. and on tonight. These are the two guys that were praying for George. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to lead us on Dr. some guided meditation before Pete gets up here. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, All right, man. Dig a Pony. Next- yeah, Dig a Pony's the yeah. next track. Let me, let me get back to here. Somehow I was getting so excited about what we were talking about. I literally you just flicked, flicked with your finger all and went the way all to the bottom down. of my notes. I love it. Yeah, so Dig a Pony. Dig um, a Pony. Well, when I was first listening to it, I was like, oh, this has similarities to Janis Joplin's sound yep. or like it even felt like um, uh, a nod back to Joe Cocker and how he does sure. a version of their their song, Get a Little Help for My Friends. Um, but the more I listened to it, the more I loved it. And yeah. then when I saw it performed live, right. <laughs> I was like, this song kicks yes it kicks me right in the teeth yeah yeah 
It's kind of it's it's the most clutch. Yeah, of their songs. It has like I a think. stoner rock. Yeah, like yeah, um, a really a kind riff. of a swing thing to it. Yeah, and then John's vocal on it is so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, it's so great. I mean, his vocals on this whole album are so favorite. All I want is you. Yeah. So good. Clutch should cover that song. That would be it's not a bad idea. A great idea. Yeah. I love too. Uh, what, what's the name of the uh, uh, keyboard keyboard guy again? Um, Billy. Billy. Yeah, Billy Preston. Yeah. Does he play on this track? I think he does. Right. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. This Just, is from the rooftop concert. So he's. Yeah. Oh, so this is actually I believe directly that. from the rooftop concert. I believe this take is. Yeah. Wow, amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's less present on this one. Yeah, yeah he's more kind of just in the background. But he's always smiling, smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, well, they were all smoking cigarettes. Yeah, actually. a lot of cigarettes I, get I smoked, th- yeah. I felt like I was going to get secondhand smoke from <laughs> watching the documentary. Oh, and so was, many cigarettes same, There's smoked. this one, I saw it today when I was rewatching a little bit. There's a point where John, <laughs> he's, he's in a chair and his jacket is over the back of the chair and everyone mm-hmm. else is talking and he leans back. He grabs something from his jacket pocket. Oh really? And he and he goes and you get. To, I think they actually blurred it out probably because it's on Disney Plus. Oh. But he has it's clearly like a cigarette, and then he realizes and he looks at the cameras and then he he puts oh. it back. Like clearly, like they never would have put that in the original, but back when this came out, like in the seventies, mm-hmm. in the the original draft of this. But now, yeah, now I thought it was super funny. He was like, because I bet a lot of them were probably smoking pot in this. Oh yeah! In during the process, and he just was gonna—he forgot that the cameras were rolling. fired up. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of cigarettes, a lot of uh, at the beginning. There's a lot of beer, a lot of alcohol mm-hmm. uh, during their like rehearsals and stuff, and then and as they go, a lot of tea. When especially after they move to like the Apple Studios. Yeah, there is a lot of tea. Um, yeah. yeah, the other note I had on here was that. Um, I felt like this is their Woodstock song. Like if yeah. they played this at Woodstock, absolutely, people would have loved it. Yeah, and this is the this is nineteen sixty nine. So that is wasn't that when I think that's the year Woodstock sure. happened. Oh wow, yeah. Um, you just mentioned Apple Studios or Apple Corp or whatever. Yeah. whatever that. Can you can you talk about that a little bit because I'm yeah. confused by it a little bit. App- and it's not it. There's a distinction right between Apple computers and Apple. Correct. Corp. Yeah, it's a different company. Okay. Yeah, they they started their own company in I think it's '68. It was right before White Album. It was right around that uh, India trip. So when they came back from that was when they launched it, or or maybe right when they left for it. But they yeah, it was a record label. I think it was their publishing. They it was this whole kind of a today we call it like a 360 deal where you know you're publishing and you're booking or whatever are, are all inside the same kind of record label. LLC. And uh, yeah, and they they signed a bunch of artists. I believe they signed James Taylor. They signed Billy Preston. I saw that. Yeah. Was it only God only God knows the outcome or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I need to buy that <laughs> yeah, on vinyl yeah. for sure. But yeah, they and it was and it was a, a disaster financially. They it, it did not last oh, long no. at all. And okay. it was it was not managed well. Uh, were they so they were not like a subsidiary of EMI? Future Joel here. My response to this question involved a lot of I don't knows, 
And uh, so I just looked it up uh, to give you some accurate information. And it looks like as far as the Beatles releases on Apple, it wasn't much more than just a kind of added graphic or label onto EMI's releases. Uh, Looks like a lot of their singles that came out through the rest of their career were on Apple, technically. Uh, but again, it was just kind of like a name thing. And uh, the only artists that seemed to be actually like released on the Apple record label wholesale would be like James Taylor and some of those other people. So simplified is just like something. Yeah. It was a venture. Yep. Didn't work out. Yeah, and this they had started this, they had built this studio or at their offices or whatever, and um, I think they had they had done some stuff there, uh, post post wide album, maybe a single or something, or early sessions of this of this thing. But yeah, and then this is the first time that I think they're really in there and making something in that space. And you can see because the the first day that they go in, Whoa. they can't even record, can't record because the because Glenn Johns is still trying to figure out all the Who equipment. Is like immediately, even in the pre-production stuff where they're doing it at that other yeah. studio place. Yeah. That guy's a legend. I don't know what he did like beyond that or before He's, that, but I need to look him up because that, that guy's he is. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The guy was incredible. Like, yeah, yeah. No, he would I think he recorded the first few Led Zeppelin records. Man, when he was just like talking into, uh, speaking into like Paul's arrangement of Let It Be when they were just trying to figure it out, I yeah. was like, oh, this guy is like on another level, whoever this is. So does he get the naked production credit or does George Martin get the production credit or a little bit of both? Oh, you mean Let It Be? Or Let It Be, yeah, yeah. That's another point of contention. Phil Spector, I believe, ended up getting a producer credit on it. George Martin was really the supposed to be the producer of it. Glenn Johns was more of the engineer mm. at this point. Um, there's a great quote from, <laughs> I love this quote. George Martin, this is a direct quote from him. I produced the original, and what you should do is have a credit saying produced by George Martin, overproduced by Phil Spector. Mm, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, so Glenn Johns, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, The Who, The Eagles, Bob Dylan, Linda Ronstadt, oh, wow. The Band, Eric Clapton, The Clash, Ryan Adams, Steve Miller Band. Is he still alive? Does he have an Instagram I can follow? <laughs> He's still alive. He is 80 years old. Man, what a blessing to music that guy is. Literally. Yeah, he's a legend. Yeah. It was so cool to see him. And as a producer, it was really cool because I, I didn't really know about his involvement. I think I knew that he was kind of on the margins of this, of, of some stuff that they did. But it was really cool for me watching this to see him just in there from the beginning of this mm. and being like, oh, wow, this is him at his start, knowing what he would go on to do. You oh, know? wow. Yeah. He is one cool dude, too. Dude, like, his wardrobe? Oh, my goodness. I thought to myself, like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the Gallagher brothers just <laughs> yes. studied him. Cause they, I wouldn't be surprised if he's worked with. Yeah, he probably with, has worked with Oasis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was the coolest of the cool. Mm -hmm. I've never seen it. Although Billy Preston, like, yeah. he's cool on another level, too. He just walked in <sighs> Dude. and just, who is this guy? You So a little bit of background info. When we were, during this past week or so, mm -hmm. Ian texted me and he was like, my dad keeps asking me about Billy Preston playing with them. Is that on this album? And I was like, I'm going to assume you haven't seen the second episode of this documentary yet. <laughs> yes. It's like, no, I haven't. I'm like, cool, just... <laughs> just hang in there. I think I gave you like a wink emoji. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, you'll, you'll see it when it comes, you know, yeah. it, he makes an impression. It's undeniable. It's like in the Bible <laughs> scripture, like he's kind of come back on the clouds. It was like, Oh, yes. that's the guy yes. walking through the door, getting behind that B3. Yes. You Man. will know, yeah. you will know when Billy shows up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, dig a pony from the rooftop session and the lyrics mean absolutely nothing as far as anyone can tell, yeah. which I don't care about because yeah. th- like you said, I think it's a. It's a killer song. It's a killer song. Yeah. I've accepted that. Like, actually, I've been listening to these songs like that now. Like, okay, yeah. I'm not going to read into it because I just yeah. don't think that they really mean anything. Right. Yeah. So, Paul's songs. Somewhat. Every once in a while. Yeah. 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 All right. The next tune on this version mm. was Across the Universe. In big, big letters, I have Mellotron on there. Is that, there's a Mellotron or is it just a, um, a choir singing? I don't know, but this is the naked version here. Oh, Okay. Like endless rain into a paper cup They slither wildly as they slip away Across the universe Pools of sorrow, waves of joy Are drifting through my opened mind Possessing and caressing me Yeah, in the version I listen to There's definitely a Mellotron right here Yeah Yeah that's the that's the Phil Spector version. I see. Yeah, this is a lot more stripped down, bare bones. Yeah. This song was actually recorded almost a year before this. So this this was recorded in February of '68. Mm-hmm. Everything else was recorded in January of '69. Where was this recorded? I think it was it was either in EMI or. Because in, in a documentary, he like plays it for them yeah, on, like, on some like, sort a, of like vinyl or something, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And I guess I thought it was just a demo, but looking at it now, it's like that's probably just this recording. This version, yeah. That's yeah. what it felt like to me. What does the chorus mean? Yeah. Um, like Jackaroo Deva or something? Yeah, Jai Guru Deva Om. Uh, loose, it's Sanskrit. It usually bleh, it <laughs> loosely translates to Hail to the Divine Guru. Oh, There's okay. a lot of possible interpretations from that. Yeah, it's kind of it's is left over from kind of the transcendental meditation stuff. I think it's something that uh, the Maharishi say. It's something that their guru would, the guy, would say. The guy in the helicopter <laughs> in the movie, the Maharishi. Remember, like Paul has all these like videos uh, or, or or film of their oh, trip. Yeah. Right? And the guru gets in the helicopter and I just think so, takes yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like I he's part it, of the A team. It yeah. was like, <laughs> the he's like he's like the, That's awesome. The extra member that like yeah. just special guest, but he's like an Indian guru. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I didn't or I didn't rewatch. I forgot that yeah they show some home videos of the trip. Which are amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a good point where I, I should say. Yeah. Guess who made a a very very prominent appearance in those those films. Do you know? Uh, I don't remember. The two monkeys, oh, hum- humping in the road. <laughs> really? Yes, they're in there. <laughs> and Paul describes it. He's like, "These are the monkeys that made me sing the song. Uh, we should do it in the road." Oh, I was like, the road. "You little rascals!" That's uh, amazing. <laughs> you inspired the worst uh, Beatles song. <laughs> that's so good. I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I guess the notes... That was an A-team reference for you kids. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, they probably don't know what the A team is, yeah. and I pity them, <laughs> fools. <laughs> oh man, we're just <laughs> throwing it around. Yeah. All right. Um, so all the notes I had on Across the Universe were actually probably related to the added production that that Phil Spector yeah. put on there, like sure. a Mellotron and like the first time I ever heard yeah, a wah yeah. wah pedal on on a Beatles song. And that yeah, kind of thing. yeah. There was a lot of that going on. His, this is absolutely one of those one those, of those songs tunes. that really got changed a lot, and I. I mean, uh, f- full disclosure, I'm going to like all of the simpler ones. I think just because, again, the spirit, like you said at the very beginning, you're like, oh, this is them getting back to their roots. Mm-hmm. And without exception, the Phil Spector extra stuff just takes away from that for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's 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 completely outside of their vision for this album. And mm-hmm. and I'm a Paul guy, sue me, and he didn't like it, so I don't like it either. All right. But I, I, I love the song. I think this is one of John's greatest songs. It's a song about songwriting, I think. Oh, it is. Words are flowing out like endless rains and rain into a paper cup. The other songs that I think I've said this about where I'm like, it's as John as John gets. I've said it about like Strawberry Fields, uh, about... Lucy in the oh, Sky Oh, yeah, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Yeah. Those are just, these are songs where I'm like, man, this is this guy, his late career or at least late Beatles career best is he's, he, the, this just has all of his kind of, he has that weird, the thing where he's inserting beats into yeah, it, right? Where sure. it doesn't, and interesting chords and, and strange melodies and it's wordy, mm-hmm. but at the same time it feels really natural and. Yeah, I think this is one of his best. This one gets stuck in my head a lot. Yeah, and I think it's just a beautiful song. I I love I loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. And I actually, I think in the documentary is the first time that they drop the f word in a documentary. Yeah. Um, when he's singing this song, because oh, really? he says nothing's gonna change my world. I'm not gonna say it unless you yeah. got like a beep thing. But he is like, I wish <laughs> I'll, it, be, I'll beep it. Yeah, I wish it. Would is what he says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, when you played it, I love that guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this recording is slightly slowed down, so we've had a lot of ones that the vocal was like sped up a little bit, mm. and this is actually I took the whole master and just brought it down slightly. Uh, I don't just to give it a different feel. Interesting, John. In this, in the documentary, you were mentioning how charming he is. I mean, yeah. it's a highlight. It is. it is an absolute highlight for me just watching him just be him, especially as it goes on, as I think he's less strung out from heroin. Yeah. Like, he's just, like, he's so funny. And he he's so, like, goofy. And there's a there's a point where Glenn Johns isn't running the tape. And uh, they start on, a, they start, at like, a on a song, and then... Then he's like, "Oh, I wasn't going." And they're like, "What are you doing?" And he's and John goes, "We're stars, man. What are you doing? We're stars in here. Yeah, don't you know, man? We're the Bootles. Like, <laughs> and like, he doesn't take himself at all seriously, no. you know. But he's he's just so he's so funny, and he's so he just has that detachment that mm-hmm. I think is it's similar to Ringo. With Ringo, it's so much more quiet, but with John, he's he's just willing to kind of like. Just ham it up. My fate. I mean, Jess and I. We were w- the first time we watched it. I mean, the thing that made us laugh the most was the. And now your host for this evening, the Rolling, the Rolling Stones. Stones. He does it over and over. Like he's rehearsing it. I loved that. It was so funny. And he would just he would be doing a take, and he just turn to the camera and say, "And now your host." Like, yeah. So good. Did he actually introduce them at some point? In time? I think so. Yeah, I think he, had, he ended up playing a concert with them. I think they said it in the. Yeah, they thing. showed yeah. the like the photographs. Yeah, 
Yeah, I just, I loved that. And that felt, honestly, like, that didn't feel like 1969 humor. That mm. felt like current and yeah. like he'd be hilarious now. He would be. And actually, <laughs> I know I said, uh, when I listened to Hey Jude, that converted me to like a Paul guy, or, yeah. right? But I, and now as I've continued in the journey, I'm, I'm, an, I'm back to a place where I'm like a neither guy because I see... Yeah how much they complement one another and yeah. how much they need each other and how much I like John, you know, particularly yeah, absolutely. there's that scene in the, in the movie where they didn't know that they had a microphone and like a yeah. flower pot. The lunch conversation. The lunch conversation yeah. between Paul and, and, and John. Uh, and John. And context for the listeners, George Harrison quits yep. like a few days into the recording. And then the thing. next day, right. the, John came in at lunch and... They recorded the two of them having this conversation. Right. And John is just confronting Paul, you know, in a way that he's really bearing his soul. You can tell it's hard for him to yeah. say the things that he has to say to Absolutely. Paul. Absolutely. Because Paul is yeah. a big, big personality. Yeah. Like you get that, like going through this. Yep. He's still a young man, yep. but he clearly feels like he needs yep. to take charge. And some of that I think is based in insecurity, which he confesses to John that he's always seen John as the boss. Yeah, right? he says, you've always been the boss. And John and John tries to kind of deflect and Paul's like, no, no, no. Even when I'm the one who's like, who's, who's like calling the shots musically, like you've always been the guy. You've mm. always been our leader. Mm. And you could tell that John, it hits with John. Like it he did. understands that. Yeah. That... That conversation blows my mind. Me too. Because you can see that they have been watching what they say in front of the cameras more than maybe you think they have. Mm. Because now when they think that they're alone, they talk in this way that is not, there's so, there's still so little pretense. Um, this is a good time to bring up what I was going to say about just the overall public perception of the Beatles for the past 50 years, the perception has been that during this album, because this, this documentary came out like the next year when the album came out. Oh, it did. It was, it was like an hour and okay. it was, it was kind of a little more like hard days night where they had like the music and the movie and that kind of thing. But they included a lot of the worst parts in there. So they included George quitting the part mm. where he says, I'll play whatever you want me to play. I won't play whenever you want. I'll do whatever pleases you. Like yeah. they put that part in. Ooh. And so, and they put tons of shots of Yoko mm. in it. And the story has always been, and he, here's the key. Remember that this came out after Abbey Road. So it's after, oh, Get Back did, or I'm sorry, Let the, It Be. Yes. Yes. As well as the documentary. So the public perce perception for this entire thing time has been that this album was them at their worst and that they had, they were at a breaking point and this is them, the process of them breaking up. Now, in a way it was, and you can see them, they all know that. Mm -hmm. They're all, they all totally understand that like, hey, Beatles probably aren't going to be around much longer. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's just the way it is. And they're, that's why George leaves. You know, he, he realizes that like there's not much to stick around for. But the crazy thing is like watching this documentary, which came out last year, mm. it changes the entire narrative. And we get to Peter Jackson did this incredible, gave us this incredible gift, which is that he let us spend real time with them. He let us spend eight hours of our time with these young men and their feelings and their, you know, their, their flaws and, and their talent. And 
we got to see kind of the true story. And it's so different. It's so, so different than, than what we thought it was this entire time. And that uh, discussion, the lunch discussion that we're talking about with the hidden microphone, to me, that was the most revolutionary part of it because you hear two guys that know each other and love each other and they know George and love George and they're so emotionally mature Mm. and they're so honest and vulnerable with each other and that goes so against what the narrative has been this whole time Mm. and the way that yeah they talk about George and they and John's like well you know you, you tell you're telling him to play this way and I'm telling him how to play this way and and then Paul's saying I just want him to be himself I just I don't want to tell him play these notes I want to tell him you just do you and John's like yeah but you know and, and he's being like you said super honest with them and really calling Paul out for being too domineering mm. and they're just they ha- they're a lot more grown up I think than we've been giving them yeah. credit for so that and the Yoko thing because here's the other thing about this. When you see pictures of Yoko Ono next to them and they're all in st- sitting in a circle and she's just sitting next to John, yeah, that looks real awkward. But when you see a video of it and you see the, the four of them are just locked in and like practicing and then she's just like doing crosswords or whatever, like it doesn't seem nearly as weird. No. <laughs> and so I think... She's not being the... Uh, the- the psychologist in the Metallica documentary leaving stick, <laughs> sticky notes. Right, or or Michael McKean's girlfriend in Spinal Tap. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I think it's real. that's another thing about having eight hours of this. You get to really see that, oh, this dynamic that everyone for 50 years has thought this is super mm-hmm. a super toxic thing is not really. And it's really changed the script. There's a great, I'm not going to get too in it because because uh, you should just go check out that podcast. It's He doesn't need any more listeners, but it's Mark Maron. <laughs> Mark Maron's WTF podcast. He has a um, he has an interview with Peter Jackson about this that he did within the last year. And I would absolutely recommend it. It is a fantastic interview, the stories that, he's, that Peter's able to tell. And he talks about showing this to Paul or about he, he met Paul who was on tour in New Zealand as he was working on this thing. And he had watched all the footage and he said that he went to Paul and said, I watched it all. And Paul was kind of like nervous. Oh boy. Mm. Cause he said, I think Paul believed it mm. after all this time. I think Paul actually felt like that is what happened. And he said, I told Paul, like, mm. it's not as bad as we all thought it was. It's really, you all love each other and it's really funny and it's really, it's a great story and it's really joyful. And so he got to like give that to Paul McCartney, like this, you know, him and his friends, two of which have passed away, you know, Mm -hmm. to say, hey, like you guys actually made something beautiful and it's not, there's a lot more to be remembered there than maybe you even thought it was. Right. There's more good than bad. Yes, exactly. And I think that's the biggest, maybe the biggest takeaway for me as a lifelong Beatles fan of this documentary coming out last year Mm. is realizing, man, there's so, and this album, I see this album in a totally different way now of like, man, there's so much more good in this than I thought there was. Wow. So the next song is I Me Mine. I Me Mine. Okay. Um, I had a question mark in my notes, George question mark. Glad I've gotten to a point where I'm identifying songs by the people. Absolutely. Um, It is a George song. Um, So was there a, was there a a, a Veriflex used on this track? Oh, the Verispeed? Verispeed. I don't think so. No? Okay. Yeah. 
I think he's just singing pretty high. Singing high, okay. I, I say that because I watched a clip today of him singing it, and I think it was the same key. Okay. There, yeah. Um, I had my notes. This is exactly uh, what our B3 organ comes in there and feels distinctly different from both George Martin and Paul. Mm. So Billy Preston uh, showing up on this track. It's a cool song. Really cool song. Yeah. I think John's not on this one. I think this is all George did the acoustic and electric guitars. Okay. How good does that bass sound? Too? Yeah. Yeah, B3 really makes this one. It does. So I have a note here. One of my notes of this song is Spectre's editions are f***ing garbage. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, boy. I, as I was listening to that main, because, yeah, the the main version of Spectre, like, there's, he adds so much stuff in this song. And listening to this version, it's like, why would you hear would this you that? and say that this needs more? Again, with that B3, it's making it feel so full. And that chorus has so much more energy. It has great dynamics to it. And why would you feel like you have to load this whole thing up with garbage? Man. Yeah. Overproduced. Overproduced by Phil Spector. By Phil Spector. <laughs> that should be his autobiography, right? That's great. Um, I mean, it is. That is his whole thing. Yeah. You know? And to his credit, he it made some him, super right? cool sounding records yeah, but didn't for a he long shoot time. shoot somebody in the face too? Like, he, he's, I mean, he... It was not worth it. Yeah. I will say this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no amount of <laughs> no amount of <laughs> of like great records is gonna <laughs> overcome you being like a homicidal <laughs> psychopath. <laughs> you know, it's just a sidebar personally. Do you have like a like me, like go to memes or like images that you'll send to like really yeah. close friends? Yeah, yeah. So there's a photo of Al Pacino as Okay. Phil Spector. Yeah, okay. and I can't remember the name of the uh, the, the, the biopic. The yeah. biopic, yeah. Um, but I will often send that to <laughs> my brother and sister. Like when <laughs> there's something hokey going on, you know, it just it just captures zaniness, you know. So, yeah. So I just usually would just shoot that photo. Uh-huh. You know, I love and, it, and it just <laughs> it says a thousand things without yeah. saying anything at all. Uh, the I love. I kind of love. I know. Remember the the reviews were mixed with me and you and John Mays about within you, without you. Yes. Um, but I I do love George's his commitment to kind of writing his philosophies and the things that he's ex, that he's experiencing into his songs. This sure. is a song about like the ego and about duality and saying everywhere everywhere I look, everywhere I hear is it's I me mine, I me mine, and basically saying like. Our world is so obsessed with owning things and and being separate from other people and and how we need to be less of that and we need to see how we are all one and how we are, we all uh, you know we we if we focused less on owning things and taking things uh, it, the world would be a better place and so you can see that that's where his mind's at and he's. And I think it's a really cool way of writing that into a song. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that is. It's kind of a subtle lyric, but it really works. And I, I think that's one of his great talents as a songwriter is, I would say, it, similar to like maybe Bill Withers, one of my favorite writers, he could like he could write a song like like Lean on Me, 
or Ain't No Sunshine, mm-hmm. and really simple lyric, but just loaded with meaning and depth and, and weight. Yes. And I think George is getting there as a songwriter where he can he can write a, a simple thing like this, I Me Mine, I Me Mine, and it just kind of chips away at you a little bit every time you hear it. Yeah, I mean, I relate. Uh, one thing I will say, like as a, per- as a songwriter personally, yeah. I relate to George George's efforts this way much more than I do Paul and John. Yeah. Because it's such a foreign idea to me Absolutely. That, that Paul and John are just like writing stuff that could make sense, does yeah. make sense, doesn't make sense, like, but they're just nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> but then George is trying to write very meaningful things yeah. that he cares about and that's the way I approach my songwriting. Yeah. So when I hear John and it's like one of those things you, when you see somebody like, you know, you can't do that, you know, but right. you, it just makes you appreciate something yeah. so much more. That's how I felt about John and Paul, you know, right. watching them doing what they do. I doing. feel the exact same way. I look at George as a, as he kind of blossoms as a songwriter through this process. And maybe that's why he's kind of, he's my favorite long term is because I see so much of like, I see myself in that I see, I feel like I've gone on a similar trajectory, and I feel like the stuff that I try to do is a lot more like, like him. Like him, yes. Yeah. I can see that in your writing for sure. For what it's worth, from from me. Thank you, thank you. Um, I could say the same thing for you. Thank you, brother. All right, dig it, dig it, dig it. All right. Uh, well, okay. So top five, top five Beatles song or top three? <laughs> well, oh man, I don't know. So before you so, say anything, yeah, all four Beatles are credited with this one. Okay. Only a couple songs have that distinction. Does Yoko get it? No. Oh, she doesn't? Okay. I don't believe so. Oh, bummer. <laughs> um, if you watch the documentary, you'll know why, right? So <laughs> um, so here are my takeaways when I listen. Uh-huh. My first was, is that Bob Dylan, question mark, or Mick Jagger, question mark? Right when there's mm. all of these, because I was like that voice. That voice sounds yeah. like Mick Jagger, or sounds like maybe Bob Dylan. Maybe it's just because it's a, similar to a Bob Dylan lyric, you know? Yeah. Um, it was really goofy, but I enjoyed it. I wasn't trying to read into it. Um, and then I was like, is that Yoko putting on a putting on a voice, or is that a man putting on a female voice at the end? I realize now it was John. You know, that yeah. they pulled some sort of like B roll, right? You know, stuff, but. Once I saw like how they did this, they were just recording them having a jam session that they yeah. called a what they call it, freak out jam session. I think yeah, so. yeah, I think yeah. that's what they called yeah. it. Yeah. Which I love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so in the get back documentary for listeners, they just basically pause on drums, right? Yeah. Or is it right now? They all. I feel like this is one of the ones where they switched. I'm not sure. Yeah, and Yoko, who has been otherwise really quiet. When they give her the opportunity to have a mic, it's like Pandora's box opens wide. More like Pantera's box. Pantera's box. And she is wailing and I can't say it's singing. Right. I can't even say it's screaming. It's just like kind of like moaning and yelling and it's like screeching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah. But entirely like intriguing (laughs) too. It's like it's like one of those things where you're like, am I not of higher consciousness if I don't appreciate this? Yeah, you know, it has yeah. like that feel to it where like uh-huh. it's elitist, you know, right. <laughs> which is the way avant-garde music kind of feels sure. sometimes. Like yeah. the people within that community of avant-garde music is like, do you oh, get you, it? Do you clearly don't get this. You know, it's like, 
Well, maybe it's just not that good, you know. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but but yeah, I still enjoyed it, especially. Yeah, I did too. Like a Rolling Stone, I think he says, or something like right, that. Right. Yeah. He starts calling. There's a the lot names. of like he talks about like the FBI and the CIA. Yeah. Right? He has a lot of it. I wrote down in my notes that like. When you watch the documentary, you can tell that they're like reading a lot of newspapers and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff at that point coming out about like the FBI and the CIA, and there's you can kind of tell that they were maybe a little into conspiracy theories, and so it feels like this is a little out out of that where they were like they maybe been reading something and then or talking with people about some crazy government conspiracies, and then they were. They're just shouting out this. John was just shouting it out as they were like, maybe, maybe future Joe Rogan, like time traveled back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Showed him the future. Exactly. Yeah. This is, this is just the theme song to a, <laughs> yeah. to a podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then right out of that, we're into Let It Be, mm-hmm. title track. Yeah. This, this cracked me up. I forgot about that because I listened to both versions of the album and in the, the right, the initial, I'll call it the theatrical <laughs> theatrical release of the album. It goes right from that into Let It Be. And like at the end, John's just like yelling and stuff. And then instantly <laughs> switches into, into this. the piano intro of, of Let It Be, which is kind of was hilarious to me. Which is interesting. <laughs> uh, Phil Spector doesn't seem like an experimental guy to me. Like I'm yeah. surprised that that even made the cut. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's not on the naked one. It's the one track that's not on this one. So the one track difference is that on Let It Be Naked, there's Don't Let Me Down, which is which you heard plenty of times on the um, the documentary. It, yeah. That was the the um, the B side to get back the the single that came out with this. Yeah, which was yeah. awesome too. By the way, yeah. Um, actually, to that point, I thought it was going to be like on the Abbey Road al- album. Oh, don't let I me heard, down. Because I heard it yeah. so many times. Yeah, yeah. I was like, where is this song going to end up on? Is this on Abbey Road? That one kind of went through the cracks. I think that's why they put it on the on this new version of the album, because it is a great song. Yes. Yeah, and it was just the B, obviously it's the B-side of Get Back, which is one of, just one of their biggest, biggest hits. And how about that? Them, like, they record it, and then they're like, let's put this out next week. I was like, cool. How crazy is that? Just going to put it out in a week. Uh That's amazing. (laughs) That's how they did it. (laughs) Um, All right. So let it be, let it be. I'm going to get, I'm going to have to segment this into like, please my listening notes. And then what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the first thing that I noted was that it has a magic to it that makes me conclude song came to Paul in a similar fashion as yesterday. Yeah. Um, side note, it didn't, I don't think. You it, know, it, but it, it kind of did. did. Yeah. You know, it's like, not like came out of a dream, but... but I think well, it kind of did but, come out of a dream. Oh, it did? Yeah. Wow. Like At least, the I think, the lyric of it. Oh, the lyric of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that was the word. The word just kept on coming back as I was listening to the song because I listened to it so many times. Like, I just kept on going back to it after I listened to the first time it's just magical mm-hmm. There's something magical about this song i was fascinated by paul's use of like religious imagery that was not tied to eastern religion but was more mm. tied back to somewhat of christianity particularly in catholicism the yeah. figure of mary unless mother mary is just like some english woman in a country his mother's somewhere. name is mary <laughs> okay all right how about that his mother's and she died when he was 14 so um, him and John have that in common. Uh, they lost their mothers when they were very young. Yeah. Oh, uh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. That's beautiful. 
But um, it is. I mean, I feel like most people that listen to it, that has been their kind of their interpretation of it was that it's about the Virgin Mary. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. You no, know, this is this is about his mom, I think. Amazing. Um, I thought that this is a weird thought, you know, so I was listening to this yeah. and I was like, man, I don't know why I'm thinking this, but I was like, I will never be as gifted or prolific a writer as Paul McCartney, right? Very few will. I feel that right? way, yeah. Um, but when you're confronted with that fact, when you're listening to something like this, I was like, well, do you celebrate that and enjoy that and appreciate that? Just be grateful that you live in a time that you could hear something so yeah. beautiful or are you going to like be jealous of that? You know, and I was just like, yeah. I'm so glad I got to hear this, like in a time mm-hmm. where I've been alive to hear something so beautiful, so so yeah. wonderfully written um, and inspired. It just inspired me to take more cracks at yeah. more songs. You Absolutely. Know? Like, really did. That was pretty much what I had for my takeaway from it in terms of like when I listened to it. But yeah. then when I saw it, like you could probably set up what's happening like when it comes to him in the in a documentary yeah. it's just yeah he's writing in the, the background basically yes. and so there's there's like a conversation happening about location i think yes right? for this yeah. movie that they're this or this tv special that they never really end up never making do. right <laughs> and you're kind of wondering why are we staying on this for so long because you're it's like ringo and george and they're talking and they're just kind of going over these details again and again and then you realize that in the background Ever so faintly, Paul is writing "Let It Be." Yes, <laughs> and you you can see that they're kind of using shots that kind of frame him, like in the in the background. You can kind of see him. It seems like it kind of did come to him in dream, at least a fragment of it. I wonder. I think that maybe it's the idea of it. So it's his mother coming to him, and mm-hmm. maybe in the dream saying "Let it be." I think maybe that's all. Maybe that's as far as the dream went. But yeah, he's just he's writing it, and you can hear it starting to come together. In the, in in the such background. a great moment. Oh, it's so amazing. <laughs> and the it's cameras, so... what a beautiful moment. The, all the cameras are pointed at something else, yeah. something that is so meaningless. <laughs> yeah, there couldn't have been more stark contrast. There's like literally one of the greatest songs ever written, <laughs> yeah. being written yeah. while they're focused on this tool who wants to bring them to uh, Libya coast yeah. <laughs> somewhere to play in a coliseum yeah. around torches. I'm like, I know. They keep talking about torches. Right. Yeah. It's like, I think it'd be really beautiful. Yeah, torches like I'm gonna torch you, man. If you yeah. don't just like <laughs> let these guys do their thing. Yeah, um, I you know, and I wonder if it, the thought occurred to him ever, like in the process or afterwards, that 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 was really the message that Paul needed to learn mm-hmm. through the process of this I think whole it experience. Is. I think that's what the song just is about. Let it be. A, a lot of people feel like this song is about what was going on in the band at the at the time. Mm. And it was kind of Paul realizing, recognizing that it was out of his control. And it feels like, yeah, he was, it's like he felt like his mom was reaching out to him and saying, mm. hey, it's okay. Uh, this is outside, this is outside of your control. So he, she gave him her words of wisdom and said, let it happen. Mm. It's okay. This is, this is how it's meant to be. Mm. I mean, it feels in that, especially considering that this was the last album that was released for so for a lot of people this was really the end of the Beatles output for them and it feels like a definitely feels like kind of a period on the end of a sentence mm. yeah of just this 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 final coda to this whole story and saying hey maybe it didn't end the way that we would have wanted it to end but have peace about it mm. because because it's going to be okay 
and it seems like it, it does seem like that it's that's not just wishful thinking i think that it does it feels like that is what he, maybe what he was going through because even in that moment you can tell that they're all it's all hustle and bustle and they're trying to figure you know it, it, there's a lot of business stuff going on with that 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 concert shoot and he's off by himself because he doesn't want to deal with it he he wants to just focus on the music and even though he seems he does seem like driven or yeah. ambitious to like crescendo yeah. this thing so he does seem in support of it but but there's also this yeah. tension within him like his duality mm-hmm. where yeah. he seems like I'm withdrawn from it too mm-hmm. and trying to it must have been really to, difficult yeah. to be them in in the middle of this all these expectations on them it feels like this was kind of maybe his solace from that or this is uh, almost like a mantra that he was telling himself that like let it be let it be and it's what the album was named yeah to that point uh, in the get back documentary they have a really hard time it seems like to me they have a hard time getting this getting this one nailed down in the studio oh at the end yeah because yeah. like <laughs> they get to a point where they're recording it yeah and it's not going well no so they just start drinking i think and so it gets it gets worse and worse <laughs> and paul starts like doing a parody of himself yeah. like recording it and i'm sure i think they actually say this costs this much per foot of tape like we need to <laughs> it's like yeah but Whatever, we're just gonna keep yeah. on. Let, roll. This will be the one. They they keep on saying like, yeah. this will be the take, right? And it just gets. And this worse is at the end worse. where the the way that it went was they were in these the, those Twickenham studios, which led to nothing really. It was it just turned into be like a songwriting right. retreat, a retreat. weird songwriting retreat with a ton of cameras and people. Right. And then they moved to Abbey Road or, or moved to Apple Studios and where a lot of it, they, they got like Get Back There and a couple other ones. Then they did the rooftop concert where they had, they took the audio from a few of those performances, like One After Nine on Nine, uh, I've Got a Feeling, and then Dig a Pony. So a couple of those they got from there. And then for a few of these, they then went back like the next day or so. And right. then finally, and really nailed down a couple of these. And this was one of those where it was, one of the only ones that was recorded after that rooftop concert. Okay, I didn't realize yeah. that. Okay, I think so. That's good. I'm glad they glad they nailed it because they made something so exceptional. It's an incredible recording. Yeah. This this like just the track. I think this is low key one of Ringo's best oh, drum yeah. arrangements. I agree yeah. with you, especially like when that final verse kicks in. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, listen to those backing vocals right there. George and John. So amazing. It's great. I love seeing them practice those. That was like, gave me chills. The hi-hat. What a great decision. I think he's the greatest, like, trials and tribulations songwriter that has ever lived. I mean, he just, the way he relates to people, his experiences, is just this feels like Divine. Hey Jude 2.0. It does. Yeah. So this is, again, is where I'm going to be mad at Phil Spector because between that organ and those awesome background vocals, he's Doesn't like, oh, anything. no, we need an orchestra. <laughs> now, in his defense, so did Paul and George Martin, but but none of that's in here. 
No. This may be George's best guitar solo, and it's different than the one on the regular album. No. Yeah. Check it. Let's this hear is it. the original. The other one was an overdub. going somewhere with that guitar solo kind of like just chasing something down and exploring yeah. getting out there a little bit it's yeah the beautiful. one the one on the the vanilla album is i should say the chocolate album <laughs> the chocolate and strawberry album is uh <laughs> it's just like a super bright harsh telecaster is, yeah. and i i don't think it fits the vibe as much wow can't say enough great things about one that of the greats song. one of the greats it's in my top it's in my top 10 yeah. Beatles songs for sure. Yeah. You kind of have to. It has to be. Yeah. All right. You got to let it be in the top 10. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right. Maggie May. Oh, uh, yeah. Maggie May. Maggie May. Uh, Jack White listened to this song a lot. <laughs> yeah. I could say that yeah, about yeah, a few yeah. songs, but Jack definitely this is one of those. digs this tune. Yeah. Fell in love with a girl. You yeah. Know, the original. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a this is the only cover. This is a cover. This is like an older song. Oh, really? That they I think it was a kind of a Liverpool. It mentions that Liverpool's mentioned in the lyrics of oh, the song. Is. So I think it, yeah. Poor Maggie, because you're like dirty Maggie. Maggie. I know. Yeah, she, like, oh. Maggie doesn't come off <laughs> yeah, super great. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love. There's only like a minute long. Yeah. There's like a thing in like mm-hmm. hardcore albums that right. like. Like we gotta get this song under a minute, you know. Yeah. And some of them, they're just like these quick Wonder things. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I love that this is under a minute long. Yeah, absolutely. Besides that, that was that was all I had. Yeah. Uh, who who sings that tune? Paul and John. Yeah. It's kind of hilarious that this song is on yes. this album, right? But, but it, it, fits. It, it totally fits. It totally fits. <laughs> um. All right, so after that is I've Got a Feeling. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah. Paul, king of the screamers, man. Like he's what a great kicking performance. Roger Daltrey's <laughs> yep. screaming butt. All the way, all all the way, way from the White Album here. Yeah, yeah. he really is. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, you know what's cool? I, 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 it reminded me of um, like Jason Isbell and the 400 Units, like entire sound is modeled after this mm. tune, actually. Yeah, John's guitar there. Yes. I've got a feeling. Yeah, this is from the rooftop. This is one of those takes. Billy, killing it. The harmonies. This is such a. It's just proof of how good of a band they were. Mm -hmm. I mean, locking in with Ringo and Paul, and then yeah, Billy with his those high. We the should note. Piano. We should note to the listeners if they don't know, this was like, like fourteen days or something like that, right? From like the start of them. St- Initially, it was supposed to be, but they kept extending. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but still. Yeah. Yeah, they had no songs coming into this. Right. And like it's they a started writing these at the very beginning. <laughs> right. And by the way, two weeks in, they had like two songs right. done. Right. With not counting. Across the universe, which is already written and recorded. <laughs> right. 
And then the Billy Preston thing was like a week ago, uh, right. according to when this was recorded. Oh, yeah. He just happened to be passing through, and they, they're like, hey, why don't you sit in on this session? Serendipity. Love it. Um, I love, as the song goes on, John gets, when John these, gets like, these verses. verses yeah, yes. these like alternate verses. Especially gives, when they're on the rooftop playing this. It works so well. Everybody got a yeah. Everybody had a hard year. Everybody had a good time. Everybody had a wet dream. Everybody saw the sunshine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It gives such a nice added color to the palette of the song. And it feels also it feels uh like they're your two generals are at the front, you know. Yeah. You know, leading the song. Yeah. You know, when the two of them are singing this together. It's another. It, it reminds me of Day in the Life, and it reminds me of Baby You're a Rich Man, and a couple other ones where you have like one of them gave one part. One of them. Now a lot of this is from Paul, but like that the, those that verse thing, that alt verse that John has, the everybody thing, especially at the end when he's singing it. You know, and Paul's going, I've got a feeling. Yes. Everybody. And they keep going kind of at the same time. Like, it's one of those, it's just great that they were able to do that. And, uh, yeah, that they each had, they each had a piece of it and they were able to marry them together. And in this case, it just works so well. Like, Paul's singing, I've got a feeling, a feeling deep inside. It's this really optimistic thing. And then, as usual, John is with the negative, but it's, it's more of like a... It's not so much negativity as it is resilience. And he's like, everybody's had a hard year. Mm. And he had had a hard year. He had yeah. lost a lot of money that year. And mm. as you said, like the miscarriage and his marriage ending and all this stuff. So like he had had a hard year. And so this song really, especially if you watch that documentary, it, it sums up. It feels like they really mean this song more than most songs. That they really mean like things are turning, things are turning a little bit and things have been really rough, but I've got a feeling that things are, are taking a turn for the better. And yeah, it's, and you can hear it in their performance. This performance is like amazing. It is amazing. That, that last, when that last verse, the last couple verses, just Paul's bass with Ringo's drums and Billy Preston, like the whole thing sounds so good. So good. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The, the rhythm section is, is like, bonkers good i feel like also when i was listening to it i mean it, this is like my anthem going forward for a little while like yeah when i listen to the song i think for a lot of people coming out of the pandemic too like yeah. when everybody's had a Absolutely. hard year yeah it's like man that hits right in the chest yeah. you know yeah awesome what a great song. song what a great tune simple simple lyrics mm-hmm. except for john he's always got to be a little weird which is cool <laughs> yeah it's cool with me he's yeah. a little bit weird himself yeah <laughs> all right one after nine oh nine. Um so this is actually probably my least favorite song on mm-hmm. it, but it still kicks. Like I yep. liked it more when I saw the Get Back documentary. At first I had very strong feelings about it that I felt that it, it was an unnecessary song yep. in comparison with the rest of the songs. But once I saw the performance, especially live, and they were having fun playing it, yeah. It endeared me to yep. the song. This is a really messy loud performance. This is another one from the rooftop that they kept.
So there's a, there is a key detail to this one that I don't think they really touch on in the documentary. Okay. Which is that this is maybe the earliest Lennon-McCartney song ever recorded by the Beatles. They wrote this when they were like 15. Mm. Uh, it was like maybe the first song they ever wrote together. How amazing. And they had never recorded it. I think they probably played it in like Hamburg and, and Liverpool and stuff. But that's, to me, that's, that's the whole story with this song is mm. like on their last album put out, it's the like the maybe the first song they ever wrote, and what a great and that is the spirit of this. When you talk about the spirit of this album being them going back to their roots, I mean it doesn't get any more symbolic. It's so poetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sort of in a way. It's so interesting when the death of things come. Yeah. So much of the complexity and mm. grudges and all that stuff, it just falls away sometimes, right? Yep. Like you really yep. come into be confronted with the reality of what is most important. Absolutely. Right? Yep. The memories, the love. Uh, maybe they were all feeling that. Like they knew like this is about to die. Yep. But let's, you know, maybe not let's. It was just something intuitively that they knew within themselves. Absolutely. That, like, like we're going to focus on the important things. Yeah. Without, without being like super intentional about it. Right. It was just more yeah. it transcended Right or poured out of their souls and their hearts. I think you know? so. I think that we saw when George left, and when he comes back. If you if you watch the documentary, it's it's the, out of the three episodes. It's at the end of the first episode and the start of the second one. That's when he's gone. It's when Paul and John have that discussion, and shortly after that, they decide to leave that ridiculous soundstage setup they were on, and. That is a point where they they're a lot more they're they're honest with themselves and they're able to make some decisions for themselves. They're able to to say, hey, this is how we want to do this and this is how we're going to do this in a healthy way. And you see that that all leads to the setting change. It leads to a huge attitude shift, especially for John. I think yes. obviously for George because he comes back. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and you see that they are so so relieved. I mean, you can see the relief just pour over yes, them when they yes. leave that situation, get away from it, mm -hmm. and all the expectations of this TV program just loosens up. Just they loosens start up, right. kind of jamming more. Yeah, they're enjoying the process. Super cool. To that point, I just don't want to forget to shout out this one guy who shows up in the documentary a lot, who I yeah. absolutely love. Is it Mal? It's Mal. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Absolutely. When they're doing this song called uh, uh, Maxwell, Maxwell Silver, Silver Hammer. Hammer. Yeah, which is going to be on the Abbey Road. Okay. Yeah. My dad has been asking me about okay. this, or says how much he loves that song, and okay. I was like, oh man, I hope I actually do like this Amazing. song. Amazing. Because the last one, he, Rocky Raccoon, I was like, I, right, I don't yeah. like this song. That's funny that those are the two that your dad is yeah. picking out. Yeah. Um, but when he's hitting that anvil oh, with the yeah. hammer, so and he good. looks like... He looks like a kid on Christmas. So good, yeah. I was like, I love Mal. He's, yep. he's the best. Yeah, he was with them like the whole time. I think. Really? Him and then Neil, who's one of the other guys you see around. Who looks like he's been in a few bar fights. <laughs> yes. Like, like if something's Absolutely. going down, like you want <laughs> Call Neil, Neil nearby. <laughs> and I think he was that. I think he was, was kind he? of their fixer. He was their, uh, like kind of their tour manager. Mm. Whereas Mal was more kind of their roadie. Uh, you know, he he was the guy who would set up their stuff. Uh, yeah, Mal was clearly like a, a real, like a real friend. Friend, yeah, yeah, and and somebody who they really counted on for for anything. 
Yeah, so, he was yeah. even like co-writing lyrics, I think, with Paul like, yeah. or John oh, my, or something. Oh, I'm like so that. glad you brought that up because there's, I forget what song it was. There's a point where he's writing down, Paul is dictating the lyrics of... I think it's Let It Be, isn't it? It could be Let It Be. Because I was like... I was like, this is It's a one song. of the like, big songs. <laughs> like, and he's just writing it down. I'm like, he got to write down Let It Be. Right. <laughs> That's insane. insane. And you get to see him do it. And to that point, we so should cool. just talk... That dovetails into the prolific level. I, I, I It was my first note about the documentary was mm-hmm. I have never seen a band operate at this level. It was like hmm. probably what it would have to be like you're a really good basketball player right now, right? You're like probably NBA level, okay? Yeah. And then you watch LeBron James play in his prime. Yeah. And you realize this is on a level that you can't even measure it because it's it's not on the same level of what I'm even though I'm really good, he's in a uh, a, yeah. a category all I think I, I think I know what you're talking about, and, yeah. And so watching the Beatles, like how they'd remember these lyrics, they'd be writing these lyrics, they're just doing stuff and, and so fast, like like probably going through 10 songs or 10 song ideas in like five minutes, just moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and doing it so well and being collaborative mm-hmm. and creative and it being great. I, I just yeah. have never seen anything like that happen that fast. You know? Absolutely. I, I felt the exact same way. It was this thing of like, for so long, for so many albums now, right? From like Rubber Soul, basically, till now. We've been talking about them piecing together these masterpieces in the studio, Sgt. Pepper's and White Album, right? And with this one, we get to see, as we've been saying, what made them so great in the first place but you're totally right they when they flex it's whoa. like whoa it is like they lock in and when you see them do that rooftop concert cuz i i've seen footage from that before i think if you're around music you you'll see some shots from that sure but you could see when the, an audience was there like we're talking about like on on um i got a feeling mhm when they lock in, it's like there's an extra gear that goes in that people are watching, mm-hmm. and we're we're entertainers and we're really good at this, and we we're, we're gonna like inhabit this song now, and you're just like you take a step back and you're like, this is real. These guys are elite at right. this. They are mm-hmm. so good. And when it comes to, when like push comes to shove, they can dick around in the studio for 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 a month, and they can like you know jam on these fragments of songs and and Yoko can scream in the mic and they can switch instruments and have a good time. But like when push comes to shove, like they're going to really deliver. Really? Uh, Yeah. In fact, that was, that was a note. Like when they knew they had to get the take apart from let it be when they were drunk. Yeah. (laughs) um, They take on a different, Yes. Like all of a sudden you just see the, the whole room changes. They're focused. They're, they're locked into one another. Yeah. And it's palpable. Like, like you, mm-hmm. you can't even, you, you can't miss it when it happens. No. Even for uh, somebody who doesn't know yep. music, they're going to see going it and be like, oh, wow, yep. this is really something else. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I think this is a great time to talk about Billy. Maybe the, just the best overall part of the story, the mm. documentary, right? Yeah. So Billy Preston is this guy. He's a young guy. 
he was, um, I think he was playing with Little Richard. Little Richard at the time, when the, at least when they saw him, and he was in London doing some, he was I, shooting like a video or something. I think it was Hamburg, actually. They talk about meeting him in Hamburg. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I mean, at the time, they were in London. Okay. Yes, they had met him there, and he played He played with, um, I think, Ray Charles, and like he was just like a, he is a monster player. Yes. Like, he is, he's sick. And we should just <laughs> know, so too, good. like, I think, Deserves to be said that he yeah. is a black man. Yeah, right? absolutely. And that, yeah, that is not a, at this stage, 1969, I mean, they're the Beatles. They are as many black influences as they had. Mm -hmm. They're some white dudes. Yes. Right. And people that listen to Sgt. Pepper's are probably predominantly white. And they have never, ever come close to having a fifth member of their band. And they, basically do it for this album. Yes. Yeah. And it's Billy, yeah, who's African American. And how like much of an incredible like when they tell him cuz they set it up through the movie if you watch it in the first episode they they mention him a little bit. They're they like, do, "Oh, yeah. he, how about Billy Preston?" They're like, "Oh yeah, that guy's amazing." We need someone like that. You know, mm -hmm. we need a Billy Preston type to like play on our cuz we want to have keys. And then they invite him in he's just in town he's just saying hi to him because he he'd known him from a few years ago yeah and he and sits cool. down yeah and john john just says like so we've been we've been playing and like we've we've been having some piano parts and we're like one of us have to not play the guitar and none of us are like really good piano players and billy's just like yeah yeah cool 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 just smoking a cigarette you yeah. know and john's like so we were wondering like do you want to play do you want to play with us yeah and billy's like Whoa. <laughs> and he just laughs, yeah. you know, he's just sitting there. He's like, uh, yes. <laughs> oh, and man. they bring, he sits down at the, and John's like, and John says, uh, he's like, well, let's get him some recordings. And George is like, well, let's just play some let's just songs. Let's play his songs. Yeah. And he sits down at, the, oh, at like man. the roads. And, th but this is what I want to talk about right now because up until that point, I mean, they were, they were, they were feeling good. They were, yeah. they were sounding good. But when he sits in, it is the point that the entire thing shifts. 100%. And their hearts are now just Lifted, in it. yeah. And they sound so good. They sound 100% better with him. And he he is this, this factor that ends up just energizing them. And he is just the missing piece. And for the rest of the time, for the whole rest of the album, he is the, he's part of the band. He's the fifth he's member fifth of the Beatles. Beatle. He's with them on the rooftop. And he plays... B3 and uh, and Fender Rhodes electric piano all throughout it. And he's just so good. So I mean, good. he's such a great... I love... And when we get to Get Back, of course, that is his... I mean, when they released that song, they actually released it as the Beatles and Billy Preston. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Uh, I think he was the only artist that they ever shared. Like a, mm. like when they released that single, that's what they, they put him on the bill, basically. Mm. Um, and the, he deserved it because he, I mean, he plays all over that song and it sounds so good, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's such a credit to his musicianship that, I mean, we're looking at his first hours playing with them and he's just in, you know, this is a guy who was, I mean, I don't want to say warmed up. I mean, he was. He's like a, he's like a prize fighter, you know, like yeah. who's been training right. and like, he's just. Right drop there. of a hat 
instantly. Instantly is the glue. Instantly is like the pizzazz and the little extra flash they need. And it's almost Ugh. like when they they observing him too. Like they already there's this anticipation in them too. You can see it. Like yeah, they're just trying to coerce him to get to sit down behind the keys. Yeah. Because they know it's going to be awesome too. Like they know yeah. like this guy is going to deliver. Yeah, they're intentionally asking him because yeah. they understand how talented he is. Yeah. And he just sits and how cool, like Ugh. he doesn't even seem to feel the pressure. He's one of those guys I have so much yeah. appreciation and respect Talk for. Talk about ice cold. He sits right. down. He sits down. <laughs> the Beatles and just like delivers. Yeah. Right. Uh, and cigarette smoke in his yeah. eyes, you know, yeah. just hunched over playing. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. His mom, so mama must have been so proud of him, man. Because that dude is he is the real he thing. just recently got elected into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't know why he had some controversy stuff later in his life. I think it might might have been why I don't know, but he would play with everybody. You talk about mm. Glenn Johns, yeah. He had a similar experience resume to Glenn Johns, mm. and uh, he actually co-wrote him and this other guy wrote. Um, you are so beautiful with Joe Cocker, who um, sang "Little Help of My Friends," who made that famous yeah. again. Uh, was his big his big hit? You are so beautiful is a Joe Cocker tune. Uh, he's wow. the first one. He's the one who made it famous. Wow! But okay. Billy Preston wrote it. That's Billy's greatest uh, writing credit. But he yeah he played on so many recordings and he would. He's one of the I'd say. He's probably the most legendary, uh, you know, keys player in in music history. I'd say wow. in, in rock and roll history. I should say that's really awesome. You did a great Joe Cocker impression on the Sgt. Pepper's. Um, oh yeah, episode two. Yeah, um, yeah. I'll let I'll let people go back and hear that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> the long and winding road. Long and winding road. Paul had a lot of difficulty with the song in the Get Back documentary. Yeah. Um, Definitely. This sounds a little bit weird uh, to talk about because because I listened to the Phil Spector version. It seemed like it was infused mm-hmm. with so much stuff that when you're telling me that they hated what he did, I'm not sure what to what to deduce from from this. But it, it felt very dramatic and was composed kind of like dramatic, like on a Queen type of level, you know, like that that kind of thing. Um, it felt very ambitious as a song. This song, th- this is the one that Paul cited as far as when he quit. He was like, the f- what they did to this song without me approving it. It was the fact that I think they said that they put like female vocals, like a choir on it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason he was like, to have strangers that he didn't know, or, you know, that, that were so prominently featured, for him that was like an invasion, I think, of... Mm. Of of his ownership over his own song. That makes know? sense. And this is where that manager came into play. Mm-hmm. Like really, it's definitely where where Phil Spector came into play. Mm. But yeah. So needless to say, Phil and Paul were never friends. Probably, I, I would assume so. And yeah. I, if I mean, I wouldn't want to be it be said to me that I was a friend of Phil Spector at this yeah. stage in history. Yeah, <laughs> you me know? too. Yeah, that worked out pretty good for Paul. <laughs> right. He has he has a pretty good paper trail of not being friends with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> this, what did you think of the song? It felt it was am, I thought it was ambitious. I thought it was beautiful. I feel like yeah. it's a song that it's not my 
it's not my forte, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, not no pun intended. Not in your wheelhouse, or not, 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 not your not, favorite. Not my favorite. I, I feel like um, it would be a really pretty background song at like a wedding or something. If I was yeah. carrying on a conversation at a reception, that's that was the way I felt about it. Like I feel like it's a song that you either get or you don't. Yeah. It really resonates with you. I agree. And uh, and for me, it just. Didn't. Yep. This feels like it's like two notches off from being a Let It Be or or a Get Back or a uh, Hey Jude. Mm. I've never loved this song. I I get it. I feel like I get why people do like it. It has that same sentiment where you can look at your life and say, "This long and winding road led me to your door," and it took me maybe some places that I wouldn't wasn't sure. Maybe I wasn't sure at different places along the, the journey where I was going, but now I'm here and it was all worth it. That's another one of those things like Let It Be, like Yesterday, like Hey Jude, where we can all see ourselves in that. I feel like the idea and maybe even the line is as good as those, but for some reason it just doesn't just doesn't hit in the same no. level. It feels like, and I think all of the drama around the orchestration of it, maybe reflects this. And like you were saying, he had a hard time with it. It just feels like he never truly landed with this song. And well, it feels overcomplicated on a musical uh-huh. level. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Like I think that's messages fair. like that probably would, would need a, a tailoring of more simplified yep. chords and things that resolve, but it has like right. this sort of like jazzy chords yep. in it and stuff yep. that will take you way out of that place where you can The little arpeggio with right. the piano. Yeah. And right. he still, pl- what the puzzling thing about that is that he still plays it like this. Like when I saw him play in 07 or whatever it was, and I've seen, you know, heard live recordings, it's like he still plays this version of it. So I feel like he doesn't really, it's not like he nailed it you know, he yeah. perfected it <laughs> later. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Maybe he's still trying to. Maybe. I mean, it feels like this was just how, where it ended and people liked it. So he'll just play he'll it just like play this from now on, you know. It's not a bad song. No. You know. It would be a sweet song for like a 50-year marriage anniversary. Exactly. Like dance together yep. or something, you know. But it feels overly sentimental. And when I'm 64, it feels like a better song than this. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go that direction. Uh, yeah. I'm going I'm to. Shout out Weston, right? Weston Skaggs right now because I think he really likes this song. So I'm sure he's probably like his toes are curling as we say this thing. So <laughs> sorry, sorry pal. We love you <laughs> so much. Yeah, and again, it's like whatever. This was like a a number one hit though. And, it was okay. And I've always been a little curious about that. I'm like, I, it doesn't to me. It doesn't stack up, you know, on against those other ones quite in the same way. But hey, you know, if you're talking about a Paul McCartney song that was a number one hit that has lasted all these years and you're like, it's not quite as good as like, Hey Jude. It's mm-hmm. like, you're still probably, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had a number one. So like. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> um, I do think a couple, one interesting thing about this is that it has a really unconventional structure. There's no real chorus to this song. Mm. Like it starts off saying the long and winding road that leads to your door. And then there's kind of a bridge part, but it's definitely not a chorus. The and then it comes back, but still they lead me back. And it's to this kind of hook thing. So it is a it's it's interesting that it was such a successful song with such a strange structure. John is playing bass on this and it's not great. <laughs> like if you listen to his bass here. Yeah. Uh, Many times I've been here, listen. 
And that's, and it feels like when when Phil Spector, I I remember reading somewhere that I think one of the reasons that there are so many efforts to try to like redo this, it's part that was part of why oh, they really? were like, let's put some like double basses in there and some cellos because the bass playing isn't awesome, yeah. you know, for, from John on this. Which whatever, he's not a bass player, but he played bass on a lot of these other songs and it sounded fine. So. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the long and winding road. Long and winding uh, road. We've got two more songs. Next mm. song is For You Blue. For You Blue. And that that song definitely feels like hinting towards George's future in music. Mm. Um, I thought it was I thought it was a special song. I um I had my notes just as a listener before I saw the documentary that I thought that they feel like they're even like peaking again, like as a band, you know, like when you're when you're, yeah, you hear about athletes where they'll train and then they have this like peak. I feel like yeah. listening on this track, I felt like, oh, these guys are like peaking again. Like they've had this lull yeah. and now they're peaking as as a band. So maybe those three weeks or whatever that it was, like, yeah, they're really locking in. And John plays this really cool, like Hawaiian, yeah, the like, slide steel. guitar thing, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. It was such a cool thing. And I, that actually really impressed me, especially watching the, the Get Back documentary. Yeah. How versatile they are as multi-instrumentalists, but then you're just putting this instrument right. in his hands that I don't think he's played before. Right. He plays this really cool solo stuff yeah. over it. Uh, yeah. So. Ja I, yeah, I John was a great song. musician. It's funny how, like, he was as, I feel like he was as talented as Paul was um, but Paul kind of developed it and and used it so much more than John did. Mm. But yeah, when you there are moments like this or like his lead, like on Get Back and stuff, you know, he you'd play these lead parts or just like guitar riffs and all throughout their career. And he was a great musician. Yes. And he he there's so many things to point at to, to support that fact but he just seemed like he didn't really care <laughs> that right, much like right. he didn't feel the need to like practice or like try too hard but every once in a while you saw these glimpses yeah how about you what do you what do you have on this track um i thought one of the interesting things was there's like a weird piano sound um it's paul playing piano like check it it's on your uh, it's on the left side I love you more than oh, yeah. Girl, I do. So you can kind of hear the lower notes of the piano sound normal. Yeah. But the top the ones, Paul had put like a piece of paper underneath in the strings. Right. So it like deadens them and it sounds really sounds, strange. Sounds cool. Are you a fan of this song or, or not so much? Not, not so much. It's cool though. I feel like the vibe of this song, for me, the lyrics are just so. Yeah, just are so a, nothing to yeah, me. Yeah, sure. That again, I'd almost rather John's lyrics about nothing, like dig a pony. Yeah. Than this one, which is just like, "Girl, I love you. I love you so much. Yeah. I love you in the morning." <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. But it's like a cohesive yeah. sound. It's, it's his dope. acoustic parts great too on this. Yeah. Like. Doesn't he say something about like Elmore James or something? Yeah, he's a legendary slide player. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I also love that this song 
ends with George saying, rhythm and blues. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is like so not cool, at least now, you know. It's <laughs> so random. I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> folk guitar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I've never thought much of that one, but it is really like the the overall sound of it is is pretty great like it feels it's not one of these throwaway songs no yeah no all right so name of the documentary name of the song seems like it back. was going to be the name of the album yes. for a while yeah um wow i mean what can you say about this it hasn't already been said in a way mm. it's i love in the i guess i got to say in the documentary the show where the song starts yeah, happening yeah. and it's it's uh george and ringo are having a conversation i think in the morning in the morning yeah. they're just getting there john's not there john's not there yet paul's like we got to do something i gotta get something going like yeah if i if i don't do it it ain't gonna get done <laughs> right so he just starts riffing on this thing <clears throat> and then the get back documentary uh they're they're not really paying attention but then they notice that, like, oh, something is really happening. Yeah. And so they start focusing in. And, um, yeah. But I think eventually, as they're workshopping this thing over time, it's during this song that George quits the band because Paul is trying to oh, yeah. influence him to play this one part. Because his part is just... But it was like the... Get back... You know, that, that thing there was like, oh, okay. Paul was like, he was talking about how it's like basically so tired and so played. Like, like this is something that's been done so much, this oh, okay. chord. And, and George was yeah, like, yeah. well, it's a chord, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> right. you know, and, and then I think John was playing some sort of like thing underneath and, and Paul was like, stop playing for a second. Right <laughs> and and George that seemed to like really offend George like this guy's yes. like a megalomaniac like I'm not dealing with okay this I'm remembering that yeah so yeah that's interesting Th this I think the a really notable thing about this song in the documentary is that you really get to see every single phase of this song yeah right you get to see the initial seed of Paul just kind of jamming and he kind of makes it out of thin air right and then you see I mean so many versions of this so many versions I mean maybe. 20 or 30. Well, it starts as a protest song too, right? Yep. And then like yeah, changing it's, it's the kind of like an anti-immigration satire. So they're kind of making fun of people who are telling immigrants to like go be get back. And then it eventually kind of became just something else. I it's, think they actually say in the documentary, like, let's just make the verses nonsensical. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. they actually say that. And they yeah. Just, which I think was the right move for this song, actually. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. This is a song I listened to a ton in my life. And there are so many takes, especially near the end of this film, where I'm like, oh, this is it. This is the one. This is the one that they used. And you hear the, ding, ding, ding. you hear those offbeats that George is playing. And there's so many, especially once Billy starts, because his, his piano parts are so distinctive. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so many of it, it took so many, maybe maybe six or seven of them, I was like, this is the one. And it wasn't the one until finally the one happens, and then you hear him play the piano part, and it's the one. But they like locked. They spent so much time locking this in. Mm. I mean, so much time. I wonder why they decided not to make this the 
name of the album? Was it because they released the single? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it went. They recorded these, record, released this as a single, recorded and released Abbey Road, and then later released th- this whole album. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun seeing them decide the instrumental breaks, and they're like, John, why don't you? Just We'll just play the solo twice. Like, yes. He's like, I don't know what to do for the second one. <laughs> like, just do the same thing twice. <laughs> this little part here. So good. This song is one of the great uns- has one of the great unsung harmonies. Uh, whenever I'm listening to it, I want to sing along. All the girls around her said she's got it coming, but she gets it while she can. Like, I'm like, if if John had done that, I'm right, like, oh, that right, would have been right, so right. good it's on so that second verse. Right. But he doesn't do it. <laughs> no. I noticed on this album, too, Paul does a lot of experimentation with his voice. Yeah. Like, much more so than the other albums. Like yeah, this song feels like a character. Yeah. I also love that they they don't like tune up every single take either. Like, so no. like some stuff is like kind of out of tune. Yeah, yeah. There's some takes where they just pick up the instrument and just go. Absolutely. And that lends itself to the sound and sound of the Beatles. Especially this song. This one oh, yeah. feels a little out of tune. Yeah, what a great performance. Wow. That's what I wrote. Just yeah. It second to none. It really is. Yeah. That one I hear, and I'm like that. I hear that that was like a number one hit, and it's something you know that they're known for, been known for all these years, and it it does it just makes sense, especially I think at that point in history, you know how like Nirvana and Pearl Jam were kind of like coming out of hair metal, yes, right. This feels a little bit like the Beatles were doing that to themselves a little bit, yeah. Where it was like Sgt. Pepper's White Album, White Album had. Piggies and while my guitar gently weeps, it had a lot of big stuff and a lot of weird stuff. And this one was like back to basics, and just to, to prove, hey, we can do this as well as anyone. Yeah. And they totally proved that. They did. I found my note about uh, Frodo and Sam. By the okay, way, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you have more notes about no. the song. Okay. So my reference during watching the watching Get Back. Paul, I noticed how frightened he was that he didn't want to show his hand, like how stressed and afraid he was that this sort of TV special wasn't going to go mm. the way that he thought it should. <clears throat> and I know that Ringo knows just how frightened he is, mm. you know. And so there's a scene where Paul and Ringo are just like playing the piano together yeah. before Peter Sellers shows up. Yeah. And um, and it just showed me like. Like Ringo is like Sam, like to yeah. like Paul's Frodo, you know, like he was just, <laughs> he, he could do something that just made him feel com- comforted and yeah. encouraged and supported. Like he could see Paul was going through it. Yeah. Ringo's a service animal. He <laughs> Like he in is. a way through, through this whole thing, whole thing, he just shows up and he's like, yeah, I'll watch your kid. Yeah, or exactly. Like, I love the beginning at the beginning where he says, I'm always on time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and Paul's like, yeah, Ringo's always on time. <laughs> Ringo's a pro. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, it cracked me up when um, John said, is that a Harris song? Like about, <laughs> like yeah. that was like a yeah. like a pet name for George Harrison's contribution. That was actually his the name of his publishing. 
Oh yeah, was Harrison's. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and just that the guy who's trying to like monetize the sheet music stuff. Yeah. Was, oh my goodness, he couldn't Sleazy. get off the screen fast enough <laughs> no. for me. Honestly. Agreed. Like, yeah. We got these. Uh... <laughs> yeah, the he sheet seemed... music is really, uh, it's really. I was like, this guy's a mobster, you know. But it, then Yoko Ono, yeah. like 15 minutes later, is like, I want to know what the sheet. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm doing a terrible impression. Oh, yeah. Like when her she... high pitch, she was like, where can I find good sheet music? Yeah, she like, asked George Why Martin. Is she interested yeah. in sheet music, you know? No idea. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Uh, yeah, he. It felt so much like this is the old music industry. Yeah, talking to the guys who were at the top, tippity top of the new music industry, right. and it felt super awkward. Yeah, he he was trying to like be like very uh, like generous and let the, letting them in and and spreading his knowledge, and it was like, bro, sheet music. Yeah, like do you know how many. Copies of Sergeant Pepper's sold, we just sold, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was weird. That was weird. Yeah. Also, the the guy who it was amusing to me, the director, who, Michael who, Lindsay Hogg. Is that his yeah. name? Okay. Yeah. He talked. He talked like this. Yes. Yeah. He's like American, like a thespian. You know, yeah. Like, yes. Like, exactly. Um, yeah. It was amusing to me how much his like he was he was definitely trying to um, I don't want to say exaggerate his his uh, prominence in industry, you know, but he was definitely trying to puff it up as much as For possible. For sure. Because he was like yeah. name dropping and stuff. Yep. And it just seemed <laughs> so like the, same thing. the whole movie, <laughs> they're just breaking him down. I know. <laughs> yeah. Through every experience, like everything he's like trying to control is like, he can't direct mm -mm. anything about this. No, you know? he can't tell them what day they're going to be there. Right. And he tries to put his foot down and they're all like, yeah, we're the Beatles. Sorry. Like, yeah. we're not going to do that. You're totally right. There's, there are, he tries to shoehorn some of these like conversations or whatever. Like, oh, I was, I was just talking to, I was just talking to Marlon Brando or yes. whatever. He, he reminds me of the brain from picking the brain. That's kind I, of, I was, I was just, I was working on a movie with, oh, I know what it was. I was with Roman Polanski. I was like. <laughs> yes, right. Like, so what these are yeah. the Beatles, for right. goodness sake. First of all, you're going to want to distance yourself from that guy. Yeah. Uh, in, about next year. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that, you're totally right. He, he didn't come across super smooth or chill. I'd say he wouldn't, he didn't come across super chill in this movie. He felt like he was trying to. Be be cool in front yeah, of the Beatles. He was, and Ringo totally like Ringo just kind of loves everyone. So he doesn't. He's Ringo so never doesn't make it weird, and so you can tell that he's like around Ringo a lot. Yes, but like John's not. You don't see him just like hanging no. around John eating bagels. No, he's busting balls. Like yeah, like, he like, steers clear of John because John's going to cut through the BS. Totally, you know? he does it yeah. to Peter Sellers. Like yeah. he's like yeah, when he oh, we just shuts him down. That was, was a really awkward. That was so when Peter Sellers shows up because he clearly knows them and he shows up and he's like, "What's with all these cameras?" You know, because yeah. he was like, by all accounts, a pretty private. Like introverted guy, yeah, and yeah, that was really awkward. <laughs> I love to, yeah. I think actually, uh, I think that director was his name again, the Michael director, Lindsay Michael. Hogg. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Hog, the Hog is the Hog. Is, he is, um, <laughs> he's like endearing himself, attaching himself to Ringo, and I think he's like, I think he actually says, "I love you, Ringo," at some point, and like, like. <laughs> 
I just feel so comfortable right. with you. And he starts talking to Linda. He's like, I just feel so comfortable around Ringo. She's uh, like, yeah, he kind of makes us all feel that way, right? Yep. But then he tries it. When when the whole thing goes to pot, when they're not going to do that <laughs> yeah. thing, I love that like the next day, he's like right there, like, like this, it was his idea. Yes, all his along. idea is like this is better. Like, this is quite oh a, yes, this is much better, isn't it? It was such a Hollywood thing to me. Like, like, yep. like it's like, oh yeah, he oh, was man. like the therapist from some kind of monster. One hundred percent. You know, he was that guy who was like, I hope they don't remember the way I was last week, <laughs> <laughs> because that is going to be at odds with who I am today. You right. know, because I'm trying to like stick around and like be be part of this. Maybe overstay my welcome. Right. Ooh. I need that thirty grand per month <laughs> <laughs> to move here. <laughs> Oof. I think yeah. he's. In a, I think he thinks he's in a band I now. He thinks he's in Metallica. <laughs> um, I, I had a couple things. One was uh, I thought this. The film really accurately captured the frustrating process of like trying to work through a song, mm. especially one that not everyone is in love with. Uh, Don't let me down. I think I feel like Peter Jackson. I feel like he picked that one to show us just like to make it painful how much time they were spending on the like the for the first time in my life. These all these background vocals. Mm. And like how they just couldn't do it, and they and they tried so many different things, and none of it worked, and they were all getting angry, and that was the point where Paul stands up and he's like, "Listen, I don't want to be the guy who tells everyone how to do, but oh, you guys right. just aren't, you know, you guys just aren't doing anything, so I got, I feel like I have to," right. and like, and that's when George says, "Well, I'll play whatever you, I just want to please you." <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> whatever pleases you, and uh, it, it it felt like that was real. That was very intentional of just showing like, and it felt so, I mean, it was uncomfortable for me. It reminded me of like when I was working in a restaurant, the little ticket printer that mm. prints up the tickets, like for a while the, yeah. I, I would have PTSD when I'd be in a restaurant as a customer. And, and then hear I would it. hear the, and a little Epsom printer, I still remember it. And I, and it reminded me of that where I, I would just feel uncomfortable whenever I heard that sound. And this felt that way where you're just like, sometimes when you're in a band, especially if not everyone loves the song, you're, you're just sitting there and you're like, I don't know what to do. I feel like it doesn't work. Does the song just not work? Like, have we just been, have we spent an entire afternoon just beating a dead horse? But that's, that goes to show their, their uh, emotional intelligence at a very young age. Because mm. I, I could say from personal experience, and I feel so bad. I've actually literally like reached out to old band members when I was in my teens yeah. to apologize for mm. being such a dink. Yeah. You know, because I'll just be like, nah, that sucks. We're not doing that. Like, right. well, let's just move on. That's not the right way to handle it. No, you know? no, not at all. And I think that, like, I I also thought to that point, I think a lot of their bickering, especially during that song or that, that stage of the story, is like none of them are really wrong they like they all have valid points it's just that they're frustrated with each other and they they don't need they don't all feel seen or empowered really right. because they're saying stuff like like at one point Paul says like we're making it too complicated we're coming up with complicated parts and then we're trying to put it all together what we need to do is we need to like write the whole thing out and figure it out in a simple way and then make it more complicated mm. and then fill it all in and and George is kind of saying the opposite He's like, well, but if there's a part to it, 
if there's like a finished part, then we can work backwards from that. And those are both totally valid, valid ways of sure. working on a song. And so no, no one's wrong in there, but they're both treating it like the other person is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so you can see that like, it's like a marriage or, or just any friendship where like no one's going to win this argument. What has to happen is these people have to come together and say, Hey, I love you. I'm sorry. Hmm. Like, let's, let's figure out what's the best to do this. I don't care if I'm right or wrong. Maybe they should have, uh, maybe they should have just like played, um, we can work it out like in the background for a moment. Got that right. <laughs> Preach to themselves a bit. Uh, life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fried, fighting. Right. Well, those Harry Krishnas, they were persevering in prayer in those <laughs> moments. You could see yeah. them they're just like, absolutely. Um, Hare Krishna. <laughs> one of the one of the things about this documentary that I thought was really cool is that there's just no narration mm, in it. That's there's, true. There are some title cards and there's some text that kind of tells you what's happening, but there are no interviews or yeah, or anything. It's so true. just it's just the voices of the of what's going on. And at the end of it, I remember when we first finished it, thinking like that was eight hours of only found footage or only what was actually happening of there's no script nothing there was written it was all just put together in that order i was like man like what a <laughs> what a feat actually by peter yes, jackson to tell absolutely. a story like that I didn't incredible it. it's you never feel lost in it like no. what's going on you know everything that's happening that's amazing to tell an eight yeah. hour story that doesn't get boring and that is like you have a good idea of what's happening all the time without any exposition. Mm. Incredible. Yeah. I would, again, recommend people go check out Mark Maron's interview with Peter Jackson. He talks about how he initially found he was asked to to, um, to put it together project, yeah. and how he just like ran into the people who uh, owned all of the f- footage. That's amazing. Apple or whatever, whatever it is. And... Um, and now they were like, yeah, we're looking for someone. He was in London doing something else. And he, they're like, yeah, we're looking for, we're thinking about giving it to a filmmaker to like make into like a documentary. Uh, Cause we have all this and no one's ever seen. We have 60 hours of footage. And he was like, I would normally never say this, <laughs> but I, I, I would do that. Wow. And he's, he's a massive Beatles fan. Hmm. And uh, it's like, who else could do that but Peter Jackson? <laughs> Thank God it didn't end up in Jerry Bruckheimer's <laughs> hands. That would have been a mess. Michael Bay. There would have been like explosions. <laughs> yeah. But I love, and then they gave it to him like, the, like that day, I think. They're like, we oh, talked about wow. it and yeah, you can have it. That's it's a It's wow. a really cool story. Amazing. Yeah. Can we talk about those two policemen for a second? Oh my gosh. <laughs> just a pure comedy show. Wow. Like that is just a British sitcom. I thought I was watching Benny Hill. Like yeah. watching these two guys. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do you think they kept their jobs after that? Or they just like <laughs> went around giving tickets for parking? I assume, well, I assume that no one probably saw all that footage, so I feel like they're probably all set. Oh, my gosh. I loved it. They were like, what do we do? What do we do? (laughs) So, yeah, so for the listeners who haven't seen the documentary, at the end, the Beatles do this concert on the roof of their building, and it's in downtown, like, London, and it's just, 
it's loud. It's a rock concert. And so they don't tell anyone about it. So it just starts and people start calling the cops because they're trying to work or they're trying to sleep. And there's a rock band. Because it's in the middle of the day, actually. Yeah, yeah middle yeah. of the day. And it's like, I mean, they're on like the fifth story or something. And all <laughs> the other roofs are about that same height. Right. And so the cops are called and it becomes... Everyone who works at Apple, it becomes their job to keep the cops from going upstairs. Right. And they and I would say, talking about Michael Lindsay Hogg, he has the foresight to put a hidden camera in the lobby. That was a good move on his part. Very good move. I give him that. Yes. That and the flower pot (laughs) makes up for all the other. By the way, the hidden camera is hilarious because they didn't make cameras that small back then. So it's like it's this giant. (laughs) It's like a. It's like picture like a recycling bin that's like four feet across with a little slit. Well, it reminded me of like when they were storming the beaches of Normandy, like (laughs) where the guns were. Like a pillbox. Right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just in the lobby of the building. So we get to see a shot of the receptionist trying, like stalling. And they come up and they're they're super polite. They're like, they're like your absolute stereotypical, like upright British police officer with the hat and the and the star and everything and they're like we're terribly sorry ma'am uh there's a rock concert going on on the roof of this building and uh some of the neighbors are complaining and she's like oh i had no idea (laughs) and uh, i'll see if i can get someone and they're like thank you and then they wait around for a a while and they're and they're and they keep coming back and yeah and finally after i mean quite a few minutes they finally are like we're gonna go upstairs we're the police and she's like i guess and then mal Comes oh. it comes down and runs interference and he's he's like a deer in the headlights he's like acting completely like oh there's a they're doing what on the roof <laughs> you know like it's so funny it's amazing I forgot they're, about they're yeah. like such oh. he- such heroes and those guys are a comedy feature <laughs> yeah that you don't even know the, 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 yeah the, oh my gosh yeah they have two distinct personalities these they two do. cops and then when they finally get up there on the roof. And there's a point where Mal, there's a great Paul, there's a great moment where Paul sees them. Like he's just playing bass and then he turns around and he's, he does like a double take. Yeah. Like, well, the cut, and he just goes, woo! <laughs> like he, he just like, he just gets this big smile on yeah. his face, you know? Cause you could tell in that moment he, he's like, oh, this kind of stuff used to happen when we were like, you know, touring and, yeah. um, it gave and, a jolt. Yeah. And then Mal turns, I think he turns John's amp off. And then George goes over and turns, turns it back it on. on. Yeah. yeah, it's a great it, that that whole part was, was so entertaining. So and they so and the great thing about the movie is that they it's all unedited, so they they like they play the entire concert in real time, so you get to see like how long it actually lasted. Right. And you and you also get to see that they only really play like four or five songs. Right. They played several of them several times. Several times. Yeah. It was like twenty five minutes or something like that, if I remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I oh, yeah, the, I think it was at least a half an hour. There's an older fellow, too, who's like probably in his like 70s at the interview. Like they go around, they start yes. asking people about the Beatles. On the street, you know, right? Yes. And this one guy says like such wholesome, kind things about yeah. him. I was like, I wish pe- I wish older people yeah. were more like this guy sometimes <laughs> when they're talking about young people yeah, yeah. and the art that they like and the music yeah. that they like. He was like- That was great. That was awesome. Yeah, I, I, I loved that. And I thought that- um, I thought it was a really interesting look into kind of how the Beatles were received in that time in that, you know, which is where they're from. And it was really telling that like, there's no Beatlemania. Now they're super famous. So there's tons of people there, but 
there's no like screaming or anything like no. that's that's over mm-hmm. it's now like a bunch of people who are a little even those people even those kids are now kind of grown up a little bit and everyone's just kind of puzzled because you you couldn't have been able to hear like anything down that no, street it must have been not. yeah <laughs> and then i think the thing that i loved right at the end here it was a it was a great way to send off the the remainder of the of the end of the the film was how uh, they said, well, what do you guys want to do? And their response was, like, after they performed this rooftop concert, yeah, they're talking about going back into the studio, like, after lunch and continuing to record music. Yeah. Which they don't do. I think they come back the next day for whatever reason. Yeah, but, but they went down and listened to it. Yeah. They're like, we want to listen to the to what we just did. And it just and uh, they're so into it. Into it. Like, yeah. They're so committed. They love they loved what they just did and they're proud of it. And yeah. Man, it was awesome. awesome. It was really cool. And especially us going through kind of the ups and downs of their relationship and their career. It's really cool to it's it's so like heartening to see them get there and to get to a place where they're like they feel really good about about playing with each other. Yeah. again and that you can tell that I think John is kind of the the weather vane of yeah. that where at that point after Billy joins after the rooftop concert concert which he did not want to do it seems like nobody really wanted to do it uh, they all had to kind of talk each other into it yeah <laughs> and after that as they're all listening to it they're they're just jazzed they're like Yes, this sounds so good, you know, and they're listening, they're they're just like bobbing their heads to it and having a good time. And that is that's what's pr- pr- propelling them to Abbey Road, uh, which a lot of people would say is their their best album. Mm. They would go into Ringo had to still be in that movie, <laughs> The Magic Christian, which is a hilarious name. Huh. Uh that he had to go do, but like he would shoot that for a few weeks, maybe a month, and then they would come back and they would do that last album. Mm. Again, I talked about how like seeing this film has really like changed the narrative for me. That's one of the biggest things for me is that this film feels like the setup to Abbey Road now, mm. where they had fallen out of love with it. The White Album was tough. The beginning of this process was really tough. And then through all of this, they f- they rediscovered what they loved about it and that gave them just enough juice to like make this one last great thing. Mm. And I think it completely reflects that. I think it's song by song, as we'll see it's. I think it's, it's just as ambitious as anything they've ever done. And I love that, that this is kind of the story of that, that it, it was fueled by them going back to their roots and really reconnecting with each other. It's so cool. I, I will say that Abbey Road is going to... I know Abbey Road is re- regarded as many people's favorite, but I feel like it's really going to have to pull out all the stops mm. for me in terms of uh, my affection for this album because yeah. of just going through the journey of the Beatles Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. what I feel about them personally yeah. in regards to this project and then seeing it. I get it. You know, it's going to have to blow my mind. This has never, this has always been on the bottom of the totem pole for me, Hmm. just because, I don't know, because of the circumstances that we all thought were going on at the time. Um, I would say you you really can't compare this to Abbey Road at all, though. That's Hmm. the kind of another cool thing, whereas, as you'll see, it's apples and oranges. I mean, 
you know, it's the different. It's like comparing this to Sergeant Pepper's, where it's like you wouldn't do that because they're just, just different so different in every single way. Uh, where it's not like a good or a bad thing, mm-hmm. but but that's for, for that's the for the next episode, episode which yeah. will be our our final of these. I think what we'll do, um, we'll we'll finish this on Abbey Road, yeah. and then. Um, We'll do at least one episode of... Uh, like a recap. We'll do a recap. I think we should be thinking about your top 10 and maybe bottom five. I've already been thinking okay, about great. it. Okay, great. Yep. Songs and uh, and maybe some other fun activities yeah. that we'll pursue on that. Maybe we'll do a recap episode at the very... After, after Abbey Road. But uh, looking forward to that. Very much looking forward to Abbey Road. The next episode... And uh, yeah, anything else? Any other final thoughts? Well, if you find yourself in times of trouble, listen to these words of wisdom. <laughs> Let it be. Let it be. Uh, if you have any extra time this week, listeners, listen to Bill Withers' cover of Let It Be because it's one of my oh, favorite cool. covers ever. I'll do that. I'll, I'll leave you all with that. And if you know if you got the time and you're a music lover, watch the Get Back documentary. Mm. It is a it is for mature audiences. I will say, you know, you don't watch your yeah, kids watching it. Yeah, there's some swear think. words in there. Um, it's long. It's it's eight hours about. So yeah, it's it's a ton. It's a ton. But I I mean I found I I didn't feel like it dragged at all for me. But again, I, I'm super interested. In this stuff. Yeah. No. Yeah, check it out. It's on Disney Plus. Listen to Let It Be if you can. The naked version. The naked version. Uh, but of course, uh, e- either's fine. Uh, I'm not going to say don't listen to the one that's been out for like 40 something years. Uh, yeah. But we can say that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to say it. Listen, listen to Let It Be Naked. naked. Uh, cool. Uh, y'all have a good, have a good week. We'll see you next time with Abbey Road. See ya.